Okay, well, this wine that Kelsey poured is absolutely delicious. I think I got her that uh, that wine fridge last Christmas, actually. Yeah? Yeah, and she just keeps it stocked. My parents came out here, and they, they always get more wine and everything, so... Yeah, that's a great wine. Well, here we are in the gun loft with your future home away from home. Yeah, <laughs> my future safe house. Welcome to the uh, team, by the way. Yeah, thank Congratulations. you, man. Thanks. Yeah, it was a, that was a, a welcome and awesome surprise, I would say. So how all this has like come together the way it has. So I'm excited. I'm really excited about it. I was hoping that would, that would work out that way. I had a, a suspicion, but like I said, I wasn't going to push you too far yeah one way or the other i was just gonna let let things happen yeah let and things let the situation develop as yeah. we say no it, it is it worked and it was, it was great yeah. um but it also helps that you have excellent ideas that are going to be extremely marketable actually uh i did a live video on instagram today oh did and i was like oh we're dropping the blade near shot show and we're dropping something else where are we dropping and then i was like oh it's and i can't tell you about it forget i said anything <laughs> and that was it <laughs> Yeah, no, it's been, it's good. I'm I'm really excited. I'm happy to be part of the team and it's going to be a exciting little ride. So for those of you out there that are listening, I basically got recruited by to not only do training on the training side of the house with James here, but I also am going to be taking over certain aspects of product development. We're going to be bringing some product solutions to market to expand their commercial offering. So I'm excited about that. No, it's funny. He was a uh... We were playing with a couple of rifles I have up here, and he goes, oh, this this mount that you have right here, it's bent and everything. And I almost looked at him and said, well, <laughs> you fix it. I know what's coming. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Uh-oh. we're going we're gonna to fix the weapon light situation for sure. So one of our projects that's going to happen here. Well, it's good for me because I get to test everything. Yeah, selfishly, right. you're like, I get to touch all of the new awesome stuff. Well, Looks at me, he's like, well, you're shooting more than me, so go break it. Yeah. I'm like, cool, man. No, perfect for R&D. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. Yeah, no, perfect for that. And you so. do put a lot of rounds, like, you do shoot quite a bit, and, like, abnormal, like, and I would say an above average, almost <laughs> abnormal. borderline abnormal amount. Man, this, so. this, are these pathological levels of shooting? Yes. Is that, yeah. is that possible? Yeah, I don't know. I, I self-admittedly i'm a little bit jealous of how much range range time you get but it's all a matter of making the time for it so yeah well i mean it's uh we're very fortunate out here um because it's it's so easy to get to I mean, yeah even, i mean you have a great setup out here like you have immediate access to everything that is urban and convenient about urban life and then also 20 minutes away you have national forest and a great little hidey hole to go shoot yeah in. i'm yeah. surprised it's not busier than it is we're out here in uh in uh, Oregon, um, in the Pacific Northwest, Pacific Northwest, which actually has a surprisingly thriving gun community. Like everybody out here shoots. Mm-hmm. If you're outside the city, like people are like guns up, bro. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're, we're really fortunate and they don't really, uh, they don't really care what you do. I know that there's certain rules, but mm-hmm. they're never enforced. Yeah. So you can shoot at night. You can do night vision stuff. You can do white That's light. Good. You can do whatever. I enjoy that. Yeah, we have well, that in Wyoming. Like, there's no restrictions on anything in Wyoming. I, mean, I hope it stays this way. It's going to be hard for me to relocate from Wyoming, but I'm going to do it. It'll be worth it. 
I'm going to hold my breath because <laughs> I love Wyoming. I absolutely love Wyoming. So it, it's like a, I had a gunny that said his course was like a carrot in the ass backwards. He was like, it hurts real bad at first and then it gets easier. And I actually raised my hand in the class and I said, gunny, would it still suck? Cause it's going deeper. And he said, shut the fuck up boot. <laughs> uh, that's good. Yeah. Um, but yeah. It was like a kind of good analogy, and then I was like, well, it still sucks. Yeah, it still a little sucks. So, yeah, living just south of Jackson Hole, it's going to be hard for me to, you know, relocate, but to a place that's, you know, so much more urbanized, but it's fine. It's the the opportunity and the team that I get to work with is going to, like, it's going to make it worth it. So, I'm excited about it. It's going to be definitely a life change, but awesome just got to do it scared you know sometimes I w- i'd be a liar if i said i wasn't a little bit nervous about returning to a more populated densely populated area because i love my i love my solitude in wyoming like i live in a town right now of 400 people and so i really i love that but the things that we're going to be able to do over the course of the next you know few years with the product development that's coming down the pipe is going to be there's a lot of game-changing things that are going to happen so to be a part of that and be able to help build that from the ground up has made me an offer that I just couldn't refuse. And in terms of like being able to, you know, be on the ground floor of helping grow something that's going to be a juggernaut in the industry. So, well, yeah, and he's he's so easy to work with. And, oh yeah, amazing you know. dude, amazing. I'm going to drag his ass on the podcast. I already warned him today. I'm like, <laughs> dude, you're, you're coming on the podcast. You should. I actually did a uh, a video interview. He had one set up, mm-hmm. and he invited me over to his place. And he's like, oh shit, I have to do this video interview. You want to do it with me? And so we did it together and it, oh, was, nice. it was very interesting. But uh, no, when you're talking about moving out here and being, you know, you got to do it scared. That's actually, uh, that's uh, a tenant, I don't know, maybe not a tenant or a philosophy that mm-hmm. I ended up kind of adopting as a de facto mm-hmm. for my life, believe it or not. Like I, if I ever had an option of going one way or the other, yeah, I always chose the hard one or what I thought was the harder one. Yeah. And it always paid off mm-hmm. every time. Yep. And I was, I made myself a, pro- a promise a long time ago. So I, cause I watch people and mainly the, the people I'm talking about are my family members that like get into a comfort niche in life and then they just stay there and then they don't grow and they don't evolve and they stagnate. And then, you know, they just, they're the same every time I go to visit them and I'm just like, I watch. Yeah. I don't want to be that person. Like I, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I packed up and went to San Francisco to go to school. You know, like I was just like, I need to, I need to expand my knowledge base. I need to grow as a person. I need to, you know, be more exposed to things I'm not normally exposed to. I need to get out. <laughs> San stuff. Francisco will do that. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that city is awesome. Like it, it really taught me a lot about myself. It taught me a lot about being objective and more open to things that I wasn't culturally used to and exposed to on a regular basis. So it, it was great for that. It really 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 broadened my horizons a lot and like really opened my perspective on a lot of on a lot of things like i this that city's amazing for a lot of reasons i'm definitely not a fan of the politics or a fan of like the home you know all all the you know problems with the homeless there and the drug problems and stuff there it's not when you've got to watch where you're stepping outside your door when you so you don't step on a used hypodermic needle it's kind of a, a detractor from all of the positive aspects of the city or when you're trying not to step in shit that you can't tell if it's human or somebody who didn't clean up after their dog on you know right outside your door it's that those are the bad parts of it but there was a lot of there's a lot of great positive aspects of of living in san francisco for a while and so i had um, a similar experience here man yeah yeah like uh you know grew up conservative household and everything mm-hmm. and you know military and then i lived uh 
lived in the DC area for a while and oh, DC will do it to you too. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. DC was it was interesting because it's yeah. like I was in Northern Virginia. Virginia is like a red state, mm-hmm. and you know despite all the all the immigration there and everything, yeah. I think that's so much of it is illegal that uh, you know it doesn't really affect the politics the same way. Yeah. But then moving to Portland and then you know getting into alternative medicine and stuff like that, like dude. Um, yep. you know, just the, the way that it expanded my, my openness to the ideas, not necessarily the usage, but definitely the ideas mm-hmm. behind, uh, drugs, psychedelics, right. um, stuff like that. Like being able to, uh, academically understand the, the value mm-hmm. behind a lot of that stuff. I think it's, it's super important because just because we professionally can't use those things doesn't mm-hmm. mean that they don't have value in the, in the space. And I think, you know, even the, even the U S military and for a long time, you know, the U S government has seen value Mm -hmm. in those alternative practices i mean it's why they send people to burning man every year it's why they Mm -hmm. that's why they uh started putting dod intelligence analysts on uh psilocybin yeah you know it's it's interesting stuff and it it is effective when used properly i completely agree yeah there's a lot of cool new research that's been happening for i don't know the last like seven eight years on psilocybin and like all of the all the cool aspects of you know what it does to you medic you know from a positive medical standpoint yeah or how about like the the research they're seeing on uh guided pcp lsd and uh ecstasy trips for ptsd yeah i haven't seen any of that research i've just been primarily watching like the the natural stuff like um with with psilocybin and and you know uh thc cbd all of that all of that stuff like all the medicinal benefits of that yeah we definitely need to get into cbd Um, yeah for sure for For sure sure that's uh that's something that i advocate uh, certainly. And I think, you know, after, after we get off here, I'll, I'll link you up with, uh, Aaron who runs on Yeah. I've been Great following him guy. for a long time. Like he, he, I got turned on to him by Griff over at combat flip-flops and, um, we've messaged each other a little bit on social media, but like, yeah, I'm a huge supporter of what he, what he's doing over there with Uncana and like the message that he's been putting out. I'm going to, I'm going to try and get him on the podcast too. You should. Yeah. Um, he actually, he called me out of the blue and gave me the rundown of his story and, I'm not even going to get into it because it's, it's his story to tell, but it's, yeah. it's definitely worth hearing um, as much as he wants to share of it. It's uh, what he's doing. He's doing for the right reasons. Yeah. And I think he's doing it in the right way. Yeah. His message is great. Yeah. Yeah. And he's had rightful success with other companies that I don't, I don't think people know about the link there right. that is, it's very impressive. Like what he's been able to do across his career. Yeah. So. And he's a, he's a ranger by trade, wasn't he? Yeah. 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 I'm going to, I'm going to definitely wrangle him up and get him, get him to come. He's one of the, He's in the top ten, so dude, he's he's a good one. Yeah. There's a uh, there's so many good guys that you can hop on these podcasts, and uh, people just need to hear the stories because yeah, for sure, just like us moving to to weird places like mm-hmm. this, the more information you can take in, and like I'll listen to podcasts at one and a half times speed and take in as much yeah, information so as like much a firehouse. Yeah. yeah, it's the way to live, and I think you can be exposed to so much more, so much more quickly. Yeah, for it's sure, so valuable. So yeah, podcasting is like a new drug for me. Like I love it. I can't get enough of them. I listen to stuff, you know all kinds of podcasts and I love, you know, beats. It makes road trips now like so much more. It's yeah. I know exactly what you mean. It makes them pass so much quicker. So I'm super into it. And for the longest time, like people were asking me like, Oh, you know, so many cool people and you know, you're so articulate. Like, why don't you think about doing a podcast? And I just pushed it off. I kicked that can down the road for a really long time. And then finally got the opportunity to do a really, uh, you know, a couple of really good podcasts and people just blew me up and they're like, dude, do your own podcast. And I was finally like, okay, I'll fine, fine. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to do it. So 
now here we are with you. Here we are. And then I'm going to get, and then there's a whole host of people that I'm going to ambush at SHOT Show. I'm going to get my friend Will Petty on here. Uh, I'll probably get Steve Fisher on. That son of a bitch. He's <laughs> such a cranky fucker, but him, <laughs> him and I like see completely eye to eye on a lot of things in the tactical universe. So, and we were training partners over at Magpul together. So he's one of my favorites and I'm going to get him on. And then you should talk with uh, Dave Pavlik. Over at Arsenal Democracy. Oh, yeah. He's an extremely sharp guy. Good, yeah. Yeah. I would love for you to make that introduction, and I'd love to try and get him on here because he makes some beautiful guns. He does. I got one sitting right here, actually. It's a gorgeous rifle. He's a good dude. Yeah. Yeah, I got Chris Reeves on here, too. Yeah, Chris. He's just fun to hang out with. Oh, Chris is great, dude. He built my rifle when I was working over at Legion. Still one of my, still, that's still my best shooting carbine that I have is that, that old Legion gun. So that's the one you had out when we went out the other day, right? Yeah. Yeah. Driving, that thing still drives tax and I've got, probably got like 25,000 rounds through it and it's still just moving too slow. Well, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) some of us aren't out shooting three days a week like you are. Um, I had to send one back. I was like, I think it's got 80,000 on it. And he was like, oh what the God. fuck is wrong with you? I live for the day that I can start putting that much ammo through a gun, which will probably happen sooner rather than later now that I'm out here with you, or now that I'm going to be out here with you guys. And we got shit to test, so. We do have a lot of shit to test. Yeah, there's a whole host of people that I want to get on here. I, I have great relationships. And I know a ton of people. Like I got a hold of uh, Lisa Bouchard, who she's the head of Jim Jones Salvation, and she's a remarkable human and she's got a great story she's super humble is gonna struggle i think a little bit with being on a podcast because i don't know if she's ever done one before but she spotlight no and then i'm i know of her i've never met her but she's got um one of her lead trainers jalen wolf who i'm gonna get on here on the podcast because she is a phenomenal poet like that's how i got you know basically found out about her as i was i was following along and read some of her poetry and i was like it like throttled me really yeah she's an amazing writer amazing writer so i'm gonna get her on and get her to tell her story about how she got involved with writing but yeah she's one of the lead trainers over there i think she also has like a master's degree or two in architectural design or something so she's she's really switched on person so yeah so i'm gonna get her on there there's so many awesome people i know um and then the people that i don't know like i'm gonna get that i just love their companies um my friend ernie Old Ernie. Oh, OEF? Yep. Yeah. I'm going to get him on here because he's got a great story and he is a gangster ass motherfucker who, I mean, one of the most successful social media marketers I think I've ever witnessed personally. Come, yeah. Like I. He really. Yeah. I watched him fucking explode OAF. So we, we were talking about him. I don't know him personally, but we were just kind of talking about how mm-hmm. OAF started that. Um, counterculture oh he totally started that counterculture counterculture. yep and i think you know for better or worse it it probably has um grown beyond Mm -hmm. anything that he could have predicted oh yeah for sure Um, some of it's good some of it's bad you know like there's there's all like the trapping with the boys stuff Mm -hmm. and like it's it's weird because you 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 don't want to be the dude who's advocating for war crimes Mm -hmm. right but there's there's always that like what happens in the field stays in the field type thing and i I think you know like he knows Mm -hmm. he knows the difference right he knows what's right and what's wrong but there is a young generation out there who's watching everything right that he says and does and is watching everything that our our professional guys mm-hmm. say and do, and it's uh, it can be good and it can be bad, yeah. you know. Um, and I think it's as long as we provide that that frame of reference and that perspective, and always bring it back to center, 
Yeah, it's, it's I mean, a great he, thing. yeah, I think what he did a great job of is making the that kind of like the counterculture and you know basically making it satirical, you know, and basically oh, yeah. making you know making light and making jokes about like that line that we have to walk when we're out in the field because. Yeah. And he's hilarious about it, too. Oh, yeah, he's fucking hilarious. I love his shit. Super, super disruptive and, like, totally pisses people off all the time. And I just laugh. I laugh hysterically. He's made me blow coffee and beer out of my nose so many fucking times in the morning where I'll, like, wake up, get a little workout in, then go grab my coffee. Or, you know, it's in the evening time and I'm, like, sitting down, like, at the end of a day on the couch and I'm, like, you know, surfing through my feet and I'll see something while I'm drinking beer and just totally, like, lose it because he, I mean, he puts some really funny shit up. Dude, I miss his uh, the weekend liberal yeah, briefs. The, the, uh, <laughs> those are the briefs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, do you know uh, Jake Cervantes over at uh, uh, Sangin Instruments? I don't. I haven't met him, but I'm familiar with his company. Yeah. So I actually I have one of his watches over there. I'll show it to you. But uh, he owns Sangin, but he also owns Savage Optics. Um, I, oh. I think he maybe co-owns Savage Optics, but yeah, I think they just um, rebranded to Bolt and Arrow. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Um, and he he actually gave me one of their new. Uh, one of their new designs. Yeah. Um, I'll show it to you, but uh, he's a really good dude. Um, cool. Got out. He's a, he's a Raider. Yeah. Went to USC. Um, cool. I'll have sharp to get dude. Him on. Yeah. yeah I'll get him on, he's up in the Bay Area. So oh, last sweet. time I was okay. in uh, Stockton, I linked up with him. Okay, cool. And I had to go to Stockton. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to link up with him. You should do. He's a, he's a really good dude. There's another guy that I want to talk to that I think Ernie knows. He's doing artwork. The We the Willing Collective. Yeah. Um, I don't I have know a who, shirt that he did for Softly. Yeah, yeah, I don't know who he is. I know he's like former Raider too. I think, but he his artwork is amazing. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah it's that Sailor Jerry type. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He's he uh, he got amazing artwork. So I'd love to talk to him at some point too. Yeah. There's, there's a whole such a list, right? Yeah, dude. There's a, such a great going. list, and we're just gonna keep. I'm gonna keep trucking with it, and then it, you know, at some point. And you'll have like Neil deGrasse Tyson on here, and Joe yeah, one Rogan of these days I'll be a big and, deal, and I'll have yeah. like I'll have that son of a bitch Andy Stump on my <laughs> podcast. So we were talking, I think, uh, how, what a small world it is that the dude who owns our machine shop is friends with John Dudley. Oh yeah, he's friends with yep. Andy, and yeah. I was like, man, it's like six degrees of separation in the tactical world. Right? It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's incredible, and that's what Andy and I were talking about. Like we walked in so many circles right next to each other and didn't realize it. Yeah. Um, lots of great, lots of great people out there. So, well, cool, man. Well, let's, let's dive into you, man. And let's like back up and tell, let's tell your story, man. Like where you were at, how you got involved in the military and then kind of what you did. Cause you've got a really, I think you've got a really interesting background for like what you did post post military and like med school and all the stuff that you've done and like the it, big, the yeah. big, the big fat brain that you, the thousand pound brain that you <laughs> have. nerd. Yeah, I want to I want to dive into all of that. So go ahead and jump into it, man. Yeah. So um well, I grew up in Chicago in the suburbs. So not not super hardcore dude, but uh mm-hmm. had a good family and everything. I ended up uh joining the Marine Corps 2007. Uh so I did like a semester of college before I joined to placate my parents. So I joined uh did pretty well in boot camp. So I enlisted as a uh as an 0351, uh, ended up as the honor grad in boot camp, so you get to pick your your MOS yeah. if you if you feel like it. So I uh, I did that, and I was like, what does Intel do? And they're like, I don't know. It's like some James Bond shit. And I said, oh, I want to do that. Yeah, don't feel bad. They told me that yeah. they told me that the grunts was like Navy SEALs, so I, yeah. I get it. So. Well, when I first enlisted, I wanted to be an infantryman mm-hmm. because I was like, that's the hardest job, right? Right. And there, I was like, what's the hardest thing in the infantry? And they're like, being a saltman. <laughs> Because then you got to carry all sorts of like missiles and breaching and shit. And right. They're like the, the assault men are like the the smart grunts. 
And I was like, well, I'm pretty smart. I didn't mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. But then I, I was, I got to pick Intel. So I, I did, mm-hmm. um, went to like, a, I graduated boot camp, went to mm-hmm. MCT. Um, and then they sent me off to Virginia beach and, uh, did some training there. And I met a, like a lot of good friends. That was probably mm-hmm. like the coolest, chillest time I ever had in the Marine Corps. Like, dude, that place is wild. Mm-hmm. You show up as a PFC and they give you your own room with like a hotel key card oh, and wow. you split it. Like it's a, it's like a split room with mm-hmm. a kitchen and a bathroom in the middle type thing. And you had to keep it clean. Like everything in the Marine Corps. Jesus, like, I should have gone Intel. Dude, it was amazing. Like I never stayed in a squad bay after I, I left MCT. You motherfucker. I know. I was, I, I was lived spoiled. in a squad bay for like the first year I was in the fleet. <laughs> so I, I was very fortunate, but, uh, so I did that and, uh, I got out of training and I had enlisted in the reserves. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay. I got out of that training and I went back to Chicago to check into the the unit that I was assigned to and nobody answered the phone. So I drove up there and nobody answered the door. So I I called the the school at uh, at Virginia Beach and they're like, well, just go home. They'll contact you whenever. And I was like, are you sure? I don't don't think this is the right way to go. But I did. And uh, I got home later that day and uh, a staff sergeant called me and he said, hey, uh, the unit deployed yesterday and you need to come back up here tomorrow morning and check in you're deploying. I said, okay. Right on. So, uh, I went up to the weapons company cause I, mm-hmm. I still had orders to a weapons company because I enlisted in an O three fifty one. And I went into the first sergeant and I reported and everything. And he was like, all right, you're an assault man. And I was like, nope. And he goes, well, you're deploying with us. And I was like, I don't think so, man. This, I don't think that's the right way to go. So I gave him the number of the master guns mm-hmm. that I knew down in, uh, damn neck. And, uh, I think he probably chewed that first sergeant's ass. So the first sergeant sends me down to the headquarters company, which was like two hours away. I go into the sergeant major's office and he was like, heard you're a punk. You don't want to deploy. And I was like, Sergeant Major, I'm just trying to be where I'm supposed to be. I don't think I'm supposed to be here. And he goes, well, you're here now. This is where you're supposed to be. Don't unpack. You're deploying At the, on Friday. And it was like Tuesday. So they made me come into the into the drill center so I didn't go AWOL every day. And then I deployed on Friday. Uh, my parents were terrified. Mm-hmm. I was terrified. So we went to 29 Palms and did our uh, our workup, Mojave Viper, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was like around the time where the the new thing was the company level Intel cell for mm-hmm. the Marine Corps. So uh, they actually put me in charge of one for our Fox company, oddly enough. Put a PFC in charge of anything. but uh, Right. That's odd. Yeah. But uh, but I guess if you're the only guy that's qualified to do the job. <laughs> yeah. Well, there. I mean, we actually had like a plussed up Intel shop for mm-hmm. that, that tour. This was like we were supposed to leave in like January of 08 for Habania. So I just kind of did what I thought I was supposed to do. Um, so that tour, we kicked that off from uh, 29 Palms, went to Iraq, January 08. We arrived there. I spent the first part of it with uh, like with one platoon mm-hmm. on a small combat outpost in Sharkia, and then right. uh, ended up getting, they pulled that platoon back. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually I got assigned to the battalion, stood up a second PSD. So I got assigned to the PSD. And ended up just being a gunner and uh, like working a gun truck. So we patrolled every day, maybe maybe twice a day. We had a couple of like month long ops that we did up in the desert. Honestly, nothing crazy. Like we took a we took a couple of uh, like pot shots and stuff like that, but nothing nothing super wild. Mm-hmm. Um, a little harassment fire for you, let you know they're still there. Yeah, a little harassment, like you know the the kind of unnerving harassment where you get back and you're like, oh, there's a fucking hole there that <laughs> wasn't there before, and I didn't know that it happened because we we're driving around in MRAPs and right. you couldn't hear anything. Couldn't hear anything. Yeah. So, so you're like, oh wow, there's a 30 caliber bullet hole in my ammo can attached to my up gun. That's yeah. interesting. The worst one was the there was one in the there was one in the window right behind the A driver mm-hmm. that would have hit me probably in the leg. Mm. Um, 
but the A driver was a sergeant. He was super pissed that I didn't know about it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you didn't know about it, right? It went off right next to your head. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It went right by your face and you didn't even know. Come on, dude. That that tour, um, we ended up, we did lose two guys um, to an IED. Mm. Um, and, uh, uh, it was, uh, it was a little rough cause it was, it definitely could have been avoided. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I'm not gonna say their names out of respect, but, yeah. um, you know, occasionally I do, I do struggle with that because they, uh, they actually got blown up by an IED behind the cop, uh, that I was, uh, was stationed at. Mm. And as the Intel guy there, I'm, I probably should have known about it. So mm. apparently that IED had been there for years and the, the police station was, was very close to that IED and they had told the platoon before us and the platoon before them and the platoon before them. And when we got there, I never heard anything about it. The platoon commander didn't know anything about it. And what they were doing was they were towing a car out into this empty piece of desert to shoot mortars at it mm. just to practice. And they hit this IED, um, flipped a truck. One guy got thrown out of the turret and the other two were stuck in there and they died. Mm. But I, you know, I still, I still kind of wonder if I maybe should have known about that one. Um, so that was a little rough. I wouldn't say that it, you know, ever kept me up at night, but it definitely, occasionally I, I pause and I think about it and I, I think about how much better I need to be at what I do on a daily basis because of that. So that tour, we came home and I ended up, uh, started going to school at the University of Illinois. So I was going to school there, kind of going back and forth. Uh, I was probably up every weekend. Uh, so we lost our Intel officer. We lost all the, all the staff and CEOs and stuff. So I ended up becoming as a corporal, the de facto Intel chief, uh, for oh, wow. our, <laughs> for our, uh, battalion. So I'd be up at the, up in Chicago, like every weekend or so, uh, doing something for the Marine Corps. Shortly after that, uh, after I got back, I, I did a short training tour to Morocco as part of like a, a partner force training thing. Um, and I ended up in Agadir, um, and ended up kind of mixing it up with the, uh, there was a HET team assigned there for like force pro mm-hmm. type stuff. And then, um, there were some other, there were other facets of that mission, of course, but, uh, uh, mix it up with them there. And I was like, ah, maybe I should try out for HET. I tried out for, which uh, HET is the human exploitation team for you, for, for everyone that's like listening. That's not acronym savvy. Yes. Sorry. That's, that's my fault. <laughs> so I, uh, I tried out for the HET. I did the screening. Uh, they fuck with you a little bit and they said, Hey, yeah, we'd like to bring you on. And ar- around that time I was offered a, uh, a contracting position in Afghanistan. And so I told them, Hey, thanks, but I'm going to go take this job. You can pay me a lot of money. Somewhere around that time I had failed out of the university of Illinois, uh, for like academic reasons, wasn't really interested in what I was doing there. It wasn't for me. Um, so That's I started okay. working at a gym. I hated school. I ha- I hated high school. I barely, I barely graduated from high school. And as it turns out, like I still fucking hate school. Like I'm still struggling my way through, <laughs> I through found, design school. So yeah, I, I get it. I, uh, well, that's, it's funny. Um, and I'm sure, you know, we'll get to that, but it's funny that I could fail out of undergrad and then end up as a doctor. Mm-hmm. But, uh, that's awesome. So I failed out. Um, and I started working at a gym and, uh, around that time I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take this contract in Afghanistan. So I went over to Afghanistan as an Intel analyst and the deal with the reserve unit, cause I was still in the Marine Corps at the time was I, I had to do a whole bunch of time before I left. And then when I got back, I had to do them a favor and, and, uh, before they let me go like school, like school their boys up before I split. And I knew that they were going to try to get me to stay, but, uh, I, I was like, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. So went over to Afghanistan to had one contract there, ended up hopping to another contract. So I ended up staying in Afghanistan for like 13 months straight. That's a good hitch. It was good. Um, I had, I had this kind of number in my head that I was like, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to come home. And if I never want to deploy again, I don't have to. So while I was in Afghanistan, um, and then you bought a boat. 
I bought a BMW. <laughs> <laughs> I did buy a BMW and it was a good number. Uh, but uh, I came home and I, I had been in Afghanistan working with some soft guys and everything. The interesting part about the Marine Corps, dude, is like uh, because of the nature of like what I was doing for the Marine Corps, it was all like battalion level stuff. Mm-hmm. I did not know like anything about the soft community Mm -hmm. at all. I knew that recon existed and I knew that there was a thing called Marsoc that you could try out for if you felt like it. And actually when I did the, uh, when I did the HET indoc, I was training for the recon indoc and they just kind of convinced me to come over. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I was over there and I was like, you know what, maybe I should get out of the Marine Corps and go to special forces. So I had started like rucking and doing all that kind of stuff. I, you know, I met some guys over there who had uh, been in the community for a while and made friends and everything. So I started getting ready for selection and I was like, okay, I'm going to get out of the Marine Corps. When I get back, I'm going to cross deck and, you know, do my thing, go to selection and, and go through all that. So I came home um, and I did, uh, ended up taking that battalion through what was the, the follow on to Mojave Viper, which became like the ITX. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's had six different names since then. Yeah. Cause this was like 2013. Took them through that. And they were like, Hey man, we want to offer you meritorious staff sergeant. If you stay with us, you can do all this stuff. And I was like, Hey man, that's, that's really awesome. But I'm moving to Virginia to take this other contract. Will you fly me out? And they said, well, we can only do that for E7 and above. And I was like, well, I'm not going to pay to come work for you. Right. So I was like, I'm done. And I'll just enlist in the army when the time comes. So I was uh, working down in Quantico over at uh, where the NCIS headquarters is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not on Quantico. It's just off Quantico. Yeah. I was working down there, living in Virginia, doing another contract with some like fairly interesting work. And I had started dating a girl who was uh, getting into alternative medicine. She she was uh, going to school out here in Portland for chiropractic. I was, uh, I was talking with her and I, we would do this like thing where she would study. So it was, you know, I was three hours ahead of her. So I'd be like kind of sitting there reading off of her notes and helping her study. And then I would correct her, but I wouldn't look at the notes. I would just correct her. And she was like, you know, you'd be, you'd be really good at this. And I was like, shut the hell up. You know, I'm, I failed out undergrad. There's no way I could go to, you know, get a doctorate. And, uh, she goes, no, I think you could do this. And I was like, well, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm joining the special forces. I said I would, so I'm going to do it. So I uh, I went through that whole, uh, it, it was probably three or four months kind of helping her study or anything. And it kept, calling, kept coming up. And uh, so I started to think about it. And I started to look into not necessarily the veteran suicide rates, because I know that the, uh, the statistics on those were heavily inflated. Mm-hmm. at one point. Um, but I started to look at the causes behind veteran suicides. And in fact, when I was in the Marine Corps, we, we did have a dude who killed himself um after an argument with his wife but i know that there was some uh there were probably some like medical things involved when it came to like pain and injuries and stuff like that and so i was looking at all of these things and i you know i had met some dudes who later on had i had heard that they had hurt themselves and then ended up uh ended up taking their own lives so when i when i was looking at chiropractic i was like man this seems like a, a very solid and minimally invasive way to solve the root of a problem when it comes to cutting off the cutting off the issue at its core, which, you know, like low back pain, knee pain, neck pain, all leads, you know, in the VA system to painkillers. Painkillers lead mm-hmm. to depression. Depression leads to antidepressants. Antidepressants lead to suicide, right? Yep. Because like, what are the side effects of antidepressants? Mm. One of them is suicide. Yep. <laughs> so uh, I ended up sitting down with a buddy. He's a dude I really respect. He's helped me in many facets of my life and career. And I said, hey, man, you know, here's the deal. I'm, I'm thinking about this, but I don't want to be that dude who almost went to selection. Or I don't want to be that dude who was like, well, I was going to do be a Green Beret, but. And he was like, well, that's only true if you say that. Yeah. And he goes, here's the thing, man. If you if you go to selection, if you want to go be a Green Beret, I have no doubt in my mind that you would you would make it. You'd be good at it. You were excellent in the Marine Corps. You can follow the military system and you thrive there. But you failed out of school, man. And you, I don't know if you would be good at that. 
that sounds like it would be really difficult for you. And so going back to what we said earlier, I was like, well, I'm going to take the hard path then. So I, uh, yeah, that I, sunk in really good, didn't it? That, that stung you and that sunk in really good. It did. Yeah. yeah. So I took the hard path or, or what seems like the hard path for me, which sounds ridiculous when you think about, well, the hard path was not going to the special forces, but that's what I thought would be more difficult for me. No, I think it is a hard path. It is a hard path. Like I'd be going to design school after having done design for as long as I have and sitting in a classroom and having some professor put like, hit, you know, basically the reason I've hated college so much is like, I feel like I get shoved in a box, you know, and I'm like a very driven, very creative person who I'm high energy. I don't like to sit still. I like to be going, 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 going all the time. Like, and just, you know, I have a system in which, you know, because partly because of my ADD that I have so bad, I like, I like to start something, work on it for a minute, go, and I have a system down to where I like, will go work on something, work on something else, work on something else. And I'll have like three or four or five things going at the same time. And then I bounce from each and every one of them back and forth and back and forth until they're done at the end of the day. And that's kind of how I do it. And so like to go sit in a classroom and listen to some professor drone on about basic stuff, say, oh, well, this is an industry standard. This is how you do it when it's in the fact, in fact, it's not. And I've gotten into a lot of arguments with professors where I'm like, that's not how it's done anymore. And that's not how things work in my industry. And that's not how I do things. And this is how I do things. And I like, will show them my way. And then they don't like that. And then it usually creates a little friction. And then I have to remind myself that you're there for the piece of paper. Yeah. I'm there for a piece of paper. And so I just usually shut the fuck up and shake my head and say, okay. And then I sit down and suffer through it. So it's, it is it is hard, you know, for guys like us that are very active and very driven and creative pro- and super into the creative problem solving aspect of things. And I would, especially at our age with our, you know, my experience level, it's been super, super challenging to say the least. So I get it, man. Totally get it. Yeah. It was uh, at the time, it definitely, I was scared because uh, I was leaving a, a six figure job to, uh, to go back to school. Mm, that's live, a hard, yeah. Live in student poverty mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, try to make it work. But the, the upside of that is there, there was no option for failure. Mm-hmm. It had to work. So I ended up, I had to go back and finish up like a couple of prerequisites at a junior college for a couple months. So I had to tuck my tail, move in with my parents for a couple months to, uh, go to this junior college and just knock them out. And then I applied to the school where I eventually got all three of my degrees so hmm. my, I got my bachelor's, my master's, and my doctorate at the same place. And one of the reasons I liked this place was because I could go as a junior in college right. and get my bachelor's and while I was doing my doctorates and, and then start my master's. So I, uh, I came out to Oregon. I ended up buying a townhouse sight unseen uh, so that I could, I got a three bedroom so that I could rent the other two bedrooms to students. Um, and that subsidized my living for quite a while for the whole time I was there. So I came out to school and uh, dove in to the classes and everything. And like you said, man, listening to, you know, when you're not used to sitting still, when you're not used to a desk, when you're not used to uh, just listening mm-hmm. just for, for forever. <laughs> it, I hate it. Dude, it was brutal. Cause so the, the school I went to, they went, they worked on quarters. Mm-hmm. So you would do four terms a year and you had finals every 12 weeks. And so you pretty much had exams every week after week one of the, of the term because they were so condensed. And so you could get your doctorates in three years if you went straight through the summers and you didn't take any time off. And then you could do your master's concurrently and all that stuff too. So I remember actually, aside from just being exhausted from 10 hours a day of class, it took a toll on my body Mm. just sitting 
for that long. I remember like my shoulders hurt, my neck hurt, my I had headaches for a long like probably the first six months I would just have headaches because I was like trying to study. And then you get home and you're studying and studying and studying. So you'd spend 12 hours a day at a desk. And that was a, that was a shift. Not to mention, you know, I, I'd come out to Portland and left a military culture to come to this chiropractic school, man. Like people are, they're hippies, right? <laughs> so um, I knew what I was there for and I knew I was here to get the job done. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't so much that for them. And so like the politics played and I mean, I remember I had to have a, they had an entire, it was like a six lecture series about the whole LGBTQ and the rest of the alphabet, right? Mm -hmm. Like the alphabet soup of gender. Mm -hmm. I I remember actually looking over at a gay guy in Mm -hmm. the class that he and I were friends and I was like, bro, you get all this? And he's like, dude, I'm gay as fuck. And I don't understand a word this guy's saying. (laughs) And I was like, where am I? So, I mean, it, it's all confusing. And, and mm-hmm. on top of that, you know, the gender or not the gender, but like the, the cultural shift over into, you know, such a different area. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me really have to evaluate what, what do I think about real things, but also how do I, how do I, how do I articulate those things in a way that I can have conversations with people? And I think that was probably one of the most valuable things and about anything I ever did. And I will say that harder than anything I did in the Marine Corps, which, you know, I know that people had much harder careers than I did in many ways. Um, but harder than anything I ever did up to that point, school was, was very, very difficult. Um, in terms of what I learned about myself, uh, the amount of work that I had to put in. So I ended up uh, two years into school. Um, I met Kelsey, who's now my wife. She's sitting downstairs watching The Office while we, uh, <laughs> while we uh, record this. But, while I'm uh, drinking her wine. While you drink the wine, yeah. So I met her, and then shortly after there uh, started, while we were dating, I started. So at this point, I'm getting a doctorate. I had started my master's in sports medicine, and I'm running a company based on the idea that I had gone out to see the same dude who told me to go to med school in the first place. And we drew a compensator for a Glock on a napkin. Mm, and I handed it I off to another story. dude. Yeah, so um, I, I had gone out to Virginia to, what was I doing? I think I was I was, I was actually giving a first salute to my, my friend, who's now an officer, and he's down in Monterey right now. And my buddy's wife had gone into a horse tackle store to buy a saddle. So we're sitting in a parking lot in Virginia, and he like we were looking at some stuff online. And he like he was like, hey, man, you ever see anything like this? And he draws like kind of what ended up being our compensator on a napkin. And I was like, kind of, but I feel like we could do it better. And he goes, Oh, let's do it then. And I said, well, let me talk to my buddy who, uh, the guy who, uh, does most of our, almost all of our machine work outside of our slides, um, owns the same shop that does all of the, uh, the remanufacturing of transmissions for general motors. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think they they have business with Ford and they have business with Toyota and they're doing all sorts of really cutting edge stuff um, that I can't even share. Mm-hmm. Honestly, they're they're really on the cutting edge of of some cool things. But I sent him a picture of it on my iPhone, and I said, "Can you make this?" And he goes, "Yeah." And he uh, he cut one up. He we have like I don't know like a hundred different prototypes mm-hmm. from back in the day, but he cut up a bunch of them in his garage like he has a, a manual mill in his garage nice. and he cut him up in his garage and he was like which one do you like the best and i picked like three and we started to to refine and refine and go back and forth and at the time i was writing um i was writing athletic programming as as part of it as well mm-hmm. um and doing like rehab and stuff like that for what i could legally do based on 
the education that I had, but I, I wasn't a doctor yet. So you can do certain modalities as like a, a trainer basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was doing a lot of that kind of stuff just to make some extra money. And we launched a compensator. And as you, I'm sure fully understand, you know, like you do the first round and you take pre-orders and they take, you know, three times as long as you thought they were going to take. Oh yes. And then, you know, you do another pre-order and they t- take two and a half times as long as you thought they were going to take. And it, you know, you refine it. And so we had launched three pre-orders and then, uh, Dave Pavlik from Arsenal Democracy called me and I had just, I had bought a couple of his guns and just torn the fuck up out of them because mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, like to shoot. And he was like, Hey man, like what you're doing. What if we changed it to this? And that eventually became quick lock. But I remember having this like two hour conversation with him. And then I turn around and I call my buddy Johnny and I was like, Hey, we're going to change everything on the compensator oh. to this. And he was like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> He's like, I just got all the programming. done." <laughs> he was like, the machine shop guys are going to murder you. Yeah. And I was like, those Polish boys don't stand a chance against me. We can, <laughs> we'll hang. So we launched the Mark two. Um, which is the the quick lock version that uh, that you have on your gun now? Mm. But uh, it's a good piece of gear. It's uh, everybody's always surprised by the performance you get out of it, but it's uh, it's certainly still by far our flagship product. And I think from there we actually just launched the the G forty three, and then we have a couple other models in the works. Uh, we actually just sent I think thirty or forty down to Triarch for their Tri Elevens. That shooting that gun with that comp is like cheating. I'm it's excited. So good. It's like butter smooth. I'm excited. From there, you know, I tried to for quite a while stay on the low this side of things. So we did a, we had an idea for some gym shorts that had belt loops in them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, as a part of that, I guess we should probably do a belt. So uh, we ended up making a belt and I like the belt so much that we ended up just selling it on its own. Um, the, it's an awesome belt. I mean, it's, it's my new favorite belt. It's so comfortable that elastic material that you chose is like, I, I like that it stretches and moves with me. But then you've got that reinforcement in the front that will hold your holster with your pistol no problem. Yeah. Super that, low profile, super adjustable, moves and bends with you. Like, it's it's awesome. I remember when you first showed it to me and I was like, oh, there, there might be some wear issues with that material. And then having worn it now for the last few weeks and I'm in love with it. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, yeah that's, that's uh, an awesome belt. Um, our My buddy, uh, Chris, over at Snake Eater Tactical, he makes all of them for us. And he was, he was a genius when it came to the prototyping. Like, we, mm-hmm. I walked into the shop to meet him for the first time or maybe it wasn't the first time I had met him a couple times yeah. but I walked into the shop and I was like I want to do this 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 and this and he had prototypes within an hour like mm-hmm. we walked out of the shop and we changed a couple things but he's so easy to work with and he knows what he's doing he actually used to sew boat covers mm. for the navy so the dude knows his way around a sewing machine really yeah, well he, he does great work yeah and he has, he has like very minimalist designs mm-hmm. which was uh really important to me yeah I agree. So then we did the shorts and everything. So when I was testing the belt and shorts, like the criteria was I I had to do squat cleans and thrusters with a gun in my pants for like 20 minutes. And I was like, if I don't want to kill myself after that, I think we're good. Yeah. If I don't want to take this thing off and throw it across the room, we're awesome. Yeah. So the belt sells pretty well. It's been a, a really good thing. And somewhere throughout this process, I would say it's, it's probably almost two years ago now. I got a call to uh, from a dude who was working with that company, Hardhead Veterans. They make mm-hmm. helmets. And he said, hey man, I don't know you. You don't know me. Would you like to be in a photo shoot? And at the time, it was so small, I was just kind of flattered that anybody mm-hmm. knew who I was. And I, I immediately said yes without asking any questions. And so I uh, I drove up to this, like it, we met at like a grocery store in Washington. At the grocery store, were like a couple guys they said would be there and that was the first time i met any of them um so and i we had a conversation it turns out his so ex- basically two operators and an air force guy <laughs> <laughs> two operators and the best larper in the business yeah, he's great yeah he's, he's a good grand dude. Thumb. Um, i'm gonna get his ass on the podcast too 
Dude, he would probably be the most fun podcast. You would mm-hmm. I the comment section on your podcast would be fucking fire. He's hilarious. I yeah. watch his videos all the time just Dude, mainly just, to get a good laugh, but he knows he knows how to One of the things I like about Mike the most is that it I think it would be like anybody on the planet would be hard pressed to like legitimately dislike him. Oh yeah, he's a super he's like a little ray of sunshine and he's got like the self-deprecation like stick down to a science and like he yeah he's he, he does like he's hilarious I think, I think he's actually like some sort of air force like fucking psyops thing mm-hmm. and he's <laughs> he yeah he's they hol- just fucking know everything yeah he's hilarious and he is very humble he's a very humble human he's a, he's a really good dude um actually i love his little i love his little tips like at the and i don't know why the fuck he does it but he's like at the end of his videos where he's like okay and that's all i've got and then he'll like rattle off more shit and he's like but now I've just learned how to cook. Like always everyone, keep one cookie. sock clean so you can strain coffee through it in the field. <laughs> Mike, if you're listening to this, you're on the list, bud. If you're not listening to this, we'll find you and force feed it. Through I'm going to find you at shot show and you're going to do it. Cause I said so. Dude, my favorite thing about Mike when you see him at shows is that he always looks tired as fuck. Mm-hmm. Like every time I see him, the last time I saw him at SHOT Show, I walked up to him. I was like, Mike, what's going on? And he was like, he looks at me mm-hmm. through these like super tired eyes. And I was like, you know what, buddy? You have a great day. <laughs> I'll catch up with you when you're not so busy. He doesn't, I, 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 it's because he's such a nice guy. He doesn't say no to anybody. And I think he just gets brutalized at SHOT Show by people that are like, let's do this. Let's go here. Let's, and he ends up like not sleeping. He may legitimately be the most famous guy you ever end up having on this mm-hmm. podcast. Yeah, it, he very well could be. But uh, so I, I ended up at that uh, that photo shoot. Mm-hmm. I, I like spoke to or I reached out to him months later. Mm-hmm. And then the first time I ever linked up with him after that is when I met you. So he called us in to talk about training and some mm-hmm. other stuff. And uh, shortly after that, I started like I assistant instructed one course for him and then ended up uh, started doing started doing some more training with them. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the early days of two, two postgraduate degrees and, you know, sleeping a couple hours a night mm-hmm. are over. Uh, Thank goodness. But, you know, I spent a lot more you're time You're such on an underachiever. <laughs> I don't even know why I hang out with you because you're so fucking lazy. G- gigantic piece of shit. Who the fuck starts a company while they're working on two fucking degrees? Idiots. I, I probably could have done it better. One of the things that I really think was a blessing and a curse is that I didn't I didn't take on any investors or anything like that. So I own a hundred percent of the company, mm-hmm. but you do a hundred percent of the work. <laughs> you do a hundred percent of the work, absolutely. Um, <laughs> There's but also, nobody to delegate to. Yeah, and I I really didn't know that much about business, so we yeah. grew slow, and mm-hmm. I still think you know comparatively we grow slow because I I can be very selective about where I spend money in terms of uh, investing in. Uh, advertising or investing in yeah no i don't blame you man it's a it's a sticky course and i'm not like that i'm not a i'm not a ninja i I suffer with the same stuff over at odg you know like i'm on the same way like i've survived two bad partnerships now you know learned massive lessons about both of those situations you know it's i'm not I'm still learning as I go to on the business side of the house, you know, like I've got the design side licked, but in terms of like, and you know, and I'm, and I would say as far as business admin goes and knowing the nuts and bolts of that, like I've, I'm pretty much savvy on most of that. But the thing that I'm really stuck on is the new environment of social media marketing and like how to navigate through this forest of ad management and ad spend and acquisition costs. And, you know, recently I had some people reach out to me and I'm working with some people now to like get my Google ads game on. Oh yeah. Like the SEO and all all that stuff. stuff. So I've got a guy for that now and he's started, he's at the beginning of like getting things set up for us and I'm excited to see what he can do. 
super, I'm super fortunate in that respect. Like I didn't do any of that, but if somebody types in, there's only one thing that comes up. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's nice. Well, I think you did it right. And it's what I recommend people do. Like when they're first getting into product driven businesses, I'm like, okay, well, what is your widget? And they'll like, tell me what their like flagship thing is. And I'm like, just do that. Yeah. Don't get distracted by anything else. Just do that. And when you've mastered that and when that's selling like hotcakes and you can't keep them in stock then and you've got good cash flow, then move on to something else. Because big mistake a lot of people get will do is they will they'll launch a product that is it's good, but it's not great. And then they will take a mild bit of success and then they will spread themselves too thin a bunch of uh, amongst a bunch of other products and they get too, too distracted. So like when you've got something that's winning and it's winning consistently and it's winning well, then move on to your next thing. Because the last thing you want to do is yeah. like get spread too thin and then have two or three or four products that fail. And like we've talked about earlier, like, you know, I've had some really great conversations about sometimes products fail and you have no idea why. Like you, you think it's a good design and you've done your market research and there's a hole in the market and this thing doesn't exist and you whip it up and you put it out there and for whatever reason, it doesn't sell. Dude, I, I've passed on products. For, mm -hmm. for the reason that I'm like, I just don't think it's going to sell. Like, yeah. like a gut feeling, mm -hmm. right? It's hard, man. There are there are so many products that I think that people really need, but they're not sexy enough or they're not, you know, big enough or flashy enough or like, dude, we still get requests to do like gold barrels and gold comps. And I still mm -hmm. say no, yeah. um, like weird stuff like that. But, you know, one of the products that we did that it was a slow launch and then it, it like it's catching up now um, was the, the tourniquet holder that we made for seatbelts. Yeah. Which is, I think that's a great piece of gear. Dude, it's wild to me because mm -hmm. I'm like, everybody has a car. Yeah. Not everybody can go shoot as much as we do, but everybody drives in a car. And yep. everybody has the possibility of getting in a rollover and like bleeding out of their mm -hmm. femoral artery. Like keep a tourniquet in your car. Yeah. But people don't do it because I, I think it requires people to confront their own mortality, mm -hmm. which is always difficult. Whereas, you know, you buy a gun, you're like, I am the reaper of other right. people's death or whatever. And I'm like, okay, Harbinger, calm the fuck down. Right. Slowly roll there, pal. <laughs> right. But at the same time, you know, uh, medical stuff, like people just, they, they tend to overlook it. And I think there's products like that all over the place where you're like, what the fuck, man? Like, well, it's not, it's not a sexy thing. And, and so I run into people all the time that are like, you know, come up and, you know, they'll come to training and they'll love to give me like their training resume and I'll like listen to them. And they're like, I've been to this course and this course and this course, and I've been to like, you know, the hot air balloon free fall revolver employment course. And I've been to the underwater sniper, you know, closed circuit scuba course. And I'm like, cool, dude, like, have you taken any type of trauma management course? Cause that's like literally the second or third course you should take. Like you should go get like a basic weapons handling, weapons safety, marksmanship course, get certified, get your concealed carry permit. And literally the next course you should take is a trauma management course. Yeah. Like calm down on the vehicle CQB for a second yeah. and like learn how to put on a tourniquet. Well, yeah. I think, you know, like there's a, there's so much wisdom in the basics of how the military does things, right? Like the mm -hmm. basic military setups, they all have so much wisdom to them. They get fucked up along the way by bureaucracy and everything. But if you look at like the basics of how boot camp works for the Marines, right? What do they teach you to do first? Work out. Yep. Like they teach you to be fit. What do they teach you next? Follow directions. That's marching, right? And then they teach you, they start teaching you medical like immediately. They teach you history and medical and you work on medical like constantly all the way from like the beginning of second phase through the end. And then they start teaching you gun stuff and then they stop teaching you gun stuff and they continue to focus on medical and fitness and paying attention, following orders, right? Like that's, that's genius. Yeah. Medical like, skills are a foundation of knowledge for sure. Yeah. And I mean, fitness, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, how to stay in shape, how not to bleed to death. It's yeah. Two really good things. Dude, it was, it was wild. This actually happened to me. I had one of our, our, uh, seatbelt 
tourniquet holders on my backpack strap when I was going through Charlotte Airport sometime this summer for one of the 9 billion trips that I've done this year. And the TSA guy looks at me and he goes, what is that? And I said, it's a tourniquet, man. He goes, what do you need that for? And I was like, stops bleeding. <laughs> and he goes, well, I'll, uh, I'll just use my belt. Thanks. And I said, you read the research on that? And he goes, well, I was in the army, so I think it'll be okay. And I, I, I'm like, hey, man, you're the TSA guy. You got to let me through this checkpoint. So I didn't argue with him. Right. But in my mind, I'm just like, holy crap, what is happening right now? Right. Like, you're going to use your belt. All right, guy. Yeah, army guy. You know, really? That's funny, army guy, you know, because I'm pretty sure in the army they teach you to use how to they teach you how to use a cat tourniquet. So, and I don't think at any point they say use a belt. Mm-mm. I don't think anybody in the army I've ever heard say use a belt. I'm pretty sure they've all been used taught to use cat tourniquets. So that would probably lead me to believe that maybe Homie was not in the army at all. I mean, or maybe he knew the right answer. And didn't want to admit mm-hmm. to having forgotten it. Right. Or, you know, I mean, there's so many reasons that people do stuff like that. So one of the questions I wanted to answer with you on this podcast, actually, mm-hmm. I was thinking about it today. How do you vet people when you first meet them? Like this is an industry. Everybody knows that like this is like the gun industry is full of amazing people mm-hmm. who will end up being some of your best friends in the world. Right. And then it's full of people who like you can't really trust. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Um, How I vet people. Well, I used to be a... I mean, I still kind of am a fucking asshole to people, but I, nowadays I've like dialed way, way down and I don't openly confront people when they're full of shit anymore. Like I used to, I just basically will like listen to their stories and I know immediately, like if my bullshit detector goes off immediately, then I might peel the story back a little bit more and see if I can, I can expose any more bullshit. And if I do, then I usually will not interact with that person. I'll try and usually terminate, you know, the the conversation as quick as possible and move on to something else. If I'm talking and they're articulate and they know what they're talking about and they're polite and it's an enjoyable conversation, then what I'll usually do is like, talk to other people that know that person. And I'm like, Hey, do you know this guy? I ran into him. He seemed like a really nice guy. What do you know about him? Oh, and then that's usually where, yeah, I know that dude. He's really great. Um, and I'll usually go two or three sources deep. I'll be like, Oh, who else knows him? Or I'll jump on social media and I'll like check out his, you know, his friend network and his, you know, known associates. And I will, if I know any of them, then I'll call and You're so spooky about it. Yeah, well, I mean, it, social media is the greatest open source collection. It's like an open source. Oh, since the best, man. Yeah, it's a it's an open source. Open source is a wet dream come true for collectors. So. These days, right? Yeah, it's these great. days, it's it's wild what you yeah. can find out about. Someone. Oh, super wild. So yeah, so I'll like get on their social media feed and I'll check out who they're hanging out with and I'll see if I know anybody or. You know, I'll get on and read their posts and see what, you know, what they're saying and see kind of how they present themselves to the world and, and then what's next. And then if I like that person enough that they've like, if they've passed like the, you know, that those initial stages of vetting and I'll, you know, spend time with them and hang out with them. And then if they do a good job and, you know, act like, you know, good human beings while I'm hanging out with them and pass that part of the test. And I'll usually go a little bit deeper than that and, and, um, you know, try, try to start building the beginnings of a friendship. So, but yeah, so like, that's, that's kind of my process on things, but I'm getting to the point now where I like to keep my circle smaller Yeah, and, you know, people, people, I find that people will prove themselves out real quickly. If you just sit back and let the situation develop. I would agree. It's weird that you say that though, because it seems like, you know, everyone, I do know a ton of people in this end. But I mean, I've been around since. You're the grand old man of tactical. I, dude, I am. I've been in this industry since 2004. Like I skipped. Call you Archibald Bishop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
That's, you wouldn't be lying. I, I, so I went, my first SHOT Show was in 2004 when I was still on active duty. And uh, Surefire took me to SHOT Show. So I've been going to SHOT Show essentially since uh, 2000, yeah, 2004. And so like last year. Back when there was still Bush and porn, yeah, man. Fuck yeah. Jeez. Last year would have been 15 years consecutive at SHOT Show. That's a lot. Yeah. I uh, mean, even. 2004, I was still in high school. So. Yeah. I mean, all my, all my deployments lined up perfectly to like, so I was either, I was always back for SHOT Show. Like I was always in the States for SHOT Show as it, as luck would have it. So I always. Do they uh, comp you when you go to Vegas now? Oh, fuck, they should. I probably should. I've spent enough money there. I've lost enough money there. I've lost enough of my dignity there. <laughs> I, I, yeah. So uh, yeah, I've been I've been in and around the industry for since 2004. My first consulting gig was with Surefire when I got off active duty and started contracting, and I developed product with them. Did their CQB training program for them. So yeah, like I know I know a lot of people. Been around for a while, which is why my friends that really know me well like were bugging me so hard to start a podcast. They're like, dude, you know everybody in the industry. You could have a you could have hundreds of great podcasts like just go go start doing it and so i put it off for a really long time because i hate secretly i hate social media i mean i hate it but it's a necessary evil nowadays if you're going to run a business or if you're going to be successful at uh getting out there so i agree although and and i'll say my wife will attest to the fact that when i first started doing social media because actually the way that i started was i was like well i'm gonna start a Instagram. Mm -hmm. It took over and we had just kind of started dating right at that time. And she's watched me go from just constantly checking how's, how's it doing? How's it Mm -hmm. doing? Because every like and every, you know, Mm -hmm. every set of eyeballs meant maybe more money than Mm -hmm. I really needed at the time. And now I manage a couple of different accounts and it matters very little to me. You know, as long as the accounts are doing well and they're still growing, you know, like the companies are still doing well, it's a, it's a way to engage with people, but it's also a way for me to, you know, just kind of be myself to people. Right. And, and give people an understanding of what is all about, mm-hmm. you know, and I've met a lot of really great people because of social media and, you know, indirectly you, right. right. I started, yeah, yeah. I started the uh, account and then I get invited to, to a photo shoot and then invited me to come and hang out with you. Like that all, yeah. that all came from social media and it, we wouldn't know each other otherwise. Right. Cause there was no way that I was going to probably link up with you on the contractor side or anything like that. So it's pretty amazing how good it can be. As long as you are disciplined and also honestly like ready and willing to tell people, you know what, block, right, block, block, block. If you're an asshole, you know, directly to me and you don't treat people how, how they should be treated, block. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's done a really, a lot of great things. And yeah, I've got a nice little block list. To, I've had yeah. blocks and people that were just absolute dicks. Dude, some people are horrible. Yeah. Some um, people are horrible. And I've I've actually told people like, hey man, like if, if they they email me or they email like somebody who's doing our customer service mm-hmm. in lieu of me. Yeah. And they start being rude, I'm like, Nope, you don't get gun stuff. Yep, you're done. Yeah. People are terrible over the internet. Yeah, big yeah, I don't like that at all. I don't like that uh you uh I don't like the the bad manners that that social media I try to not, my rule is, is like, I don't say anything that I wouldn't say to somebody's face because I grew up in a time, you know, before the internet, before cell phones, before social media to where, you know, I grew up in Wyoming on a ranch and, you know, went to a school with a bunch of ranch kids and then joined the military in an era where like, if you talked shit, you were fighting. Like if you dis, if you openly disrespected another man, you better be ready to throw hands. Cause like you, that's what, that's what's happening next. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up like that. I grew up in a family of that. Like if you were disrespectful disrespectful, you got your ass kicked, you know, and if people were disrespectful or challenged you openly on the street or in school or wherever, like you, you were fighting, like that's just how it was. Yeah. You know, same thing for like when I joined the Marine Corps in 95, like back when, 
back when in my day in the old core <laughs> back in the old core like there was fist fights in the barracks all the time you know and so i suspect that that still happens in in the right units. i think so too yeah. um i don't think that that's gone anywhere i remember in high school man do you remember when the video of marines going through airborne school came out mm-hmm. and they were like just jamming those wings into each other mm-hmm. i remember when that came blood out wings news. yep yeah, blood wings are still a thing. I have I have a feeling that those that still those little ceremonies still happen. I mean, we blood striped kids mm-hmm. all the time, and well, we used to, to see have, these kids walking limp, limping around for weeks. I mean, we used to have this thing called mattress qual, where we would take the new kids and duct tape them in between bed mattresses and throw them off the third deck of the barracks. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, nobody ever got hurt, but not the. <laughs> safest practice in the world yeah so i just i grew up in an era of that so i think nowadays the kids that like you know i had a situation with my ex-girlfriend's 15 year old son he's a he's a great kid he really is um but he he likes to fly fast and loose with his mouth on social media and i had to pull him aside one day and i'm like you should never say anything to anybody on social media that you're not willing to back up because at some point in time you never know when you will run into that person and they will be somebody who likes that person more than you or somebody who likes that person more than you that watched you be a dick to them. And then they fucking beat your ass. You know what? That I feel like that is, it's a, it's a valuable lesson, right? Yeah. But I think it's, it's one that's lost so Mm -hmm. quickly um, these days because look at, look at our role models, man. Yeah. Like, I mean, our politicians, Mm -hmm. they talk mad shit Mm -hmm. on each other. Like, I think even, it might have been Dan Crenshaw. I saw some politician that was like, bring him over here. I'll beat that motherfucker's ass. And I was like, oh, <laughs> is this a basketball court or is this Capitol Hill? Like, what are we doing here? Right. Um, and, yeah. you know, like, so, you know, some of, I know that, you know, it's all, it's all for show and all that kind of stuff, but it's also, uh, kids all see that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that you mix that with the algorithms that Facebook is constantly driving controversial content to yeah. you. You mix that with you know, all of the talk on Twitter and like, you know, you got rappers on Twitter who mm-hmm. are notoriously, you know, loose at the mouth and, and right. stuff like that. And you're just like, man, people will get out of control and it never, ever dials back. Things only escalate. Right. Um, at least in our society that I've seen. And so it's, it's so hard to keep somebody reserved. And if they do step into that next realm, you know, they got about two steps in there before you're where you can pull them back before they're kind of committed in that direction. Yeah, I, I, so I follow Gary V. I, I love his shit. And he, I mean, from an entrepreneurial standpoint and from a message standpoint, like his message of positivity and treating people with respect and kindness, and, but then still being brutally honest with his position on things. And then, you know. Honesty is kindness, man. Yeah. It exactly. really is. Yeah. And then, you know, his thing with developing 20 to 50 pieces of content a day. And then, um, I mean, he's just got so many good things. But the thing that I like about him is he's always preaching about being kind, being kind to your fellow man and, you know, being kind, being loving. And then also, you know, I love his thing about like, he tries to respond to everybody and he's got so many followers now. Like I, he can't, I'm sure he can't keep up because he's got like four and a half million people following him on Instagram. But 
I take that to heart to kind of caveat what you were saying about like how we met and what, you know, the social, the positive social aspects of social media. Like I try to, anytime anybody reaches out to me, I respond to them. Anytime anybody, you know, comments on my page, I respond to that and I like will comment back to them, you know, to get the engagement flowing because that's essentially what social media is. And like, we're, we're trying to connect and it's just a good way to treat people. And, and the way I look at it and, you know, Gary's got this, the same, you know, perception on it is like, if somebody's going to take the time to reach out to you and comment or like or say something or DM you, then be respectful and kind enough to like honor the time that they took to do that and respond back to them. And I kind of look at it like, and and he's the one that kind of put this bug in my mind about if you were having, like, if you were on the street and somebody came up to you, you know, and said, hey, what's up? I like your shirt. That's, that's an awesome shirt. And you just sat there and ignored them and went back into your phone. If somebody did that to me, I'd want to punch them out of their sneakers. So like, just for being a rude fucking asshole. So I look at it as like, you know, social media with like messages and DMs and whatnot. Like if people are trying to have a conversation with you, don't ignore them, be polite and have a conversation back, you know, because you never know where it could lead. It's true. And and I'm actually, you know, super guilty of ignoring most of that. Mm -hmm. Part of it is, is, you know, time and like what I want to prioritize. Part of it is, is I feel like I'm I'm either going to respond to all of it or I'm going to respond to none of it. Yeah. Um, and un- unless there's like something's a major problem or, you know, like there's, there's some misinformation out there that needs mm-hmm. to be corrected. A lot of times, man, like I'll let people's dumb questions sit like questions that could easily be answered by logging onto our website mm-hmm. and reading. I, it makes me mad. <laughs> so I don't want to <laughs> respond the wrong way. So I just don't respond at all, which means then, well, then I can't respond to everybody else right. and ignore this dude. Cause then that's just as rude. So I have a relatively small following, so I can, I can still get away with it. I imagine like when you get a larger following, cause what do you have like that 60,000 people? On oh no, we're at like 42 something. Okay. Yeah. Still 42,000 people. That's like larger than the town that I grew up in. So like, yeah, I mean, that's still a good number. I mean, what's up to you now? Like 82,000 or something like that? No. Um, I don't want to toot my own horn, but, uh, I grew that one pretty quick. It, it kind of grew itself actually. Uh, I think it's at 123 now. Oh Jesus. It's yeah. jumped then. Cause the other day when I checked it, it was like, at no, 80. fuck no, it's been at 122 for like a month and we just hit 123 like yesterday. I want to say that I checked it like a month or two ago and it was like 89 or something like that. No, I mean, that man. thing's been flying. You've been doing a great job with that page, but it's been like, you guys have been flying on the numbers, but that's what I'm saying. Like a hundred, I've got like 2000 people following me on my personal page. And then I've got, what is it? 5,000 on my, on ODG following me. So I like, you know, and then I've got like 5,000 people following me on my ODG Facebook. So I've got, you know, like a, my reach is a whopping like 12,000. And so I'm still relatively small enough that I can get away with, I can get away with still responding to everybody. But I imagine like, like it gets really, really difficult when you get up into those it's, tens dude, it's of weird thousands like, or hundreds of thousands of followers. Yeah, and it, it adds like how many D, how many DMs discs get on a daily basis? On a daily basis? Um, if I'm looking right now, let's see. This is all within the last day. It looks like I don't know about fifty or so. Yeah. Some of them, I, I actually don't answer the DMs as as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. When people come there to to talk to. So yeah. I put up some of the stories and almost all of the main page content. But if they message a page, they want to talk to you. Yeah. So they don't want to talk to me. So I don't really answer them. Uh, and go through. I think he goes through maybe once a day. It's it's really hard. He right. does whatever he wants to do. It's his company. So. I encourage that. Right. <laughs> but, uh, um, <laughs> these are your monkeys, but yeah, no, um, it's interesting because, you know, one, one post will have 150 comments and mm-hmm. then one post will have two. Right. And it's, it's just kind of depends on how, uh, sometimes what the caption says, sometimes like how compelling the, the photo or, or the video is, but you know, like even, even on that page, you'll see 
people who will ask questions that are easily answered on the website. Like, or they'll be like, what's the phone case? And you're like, motherfucker, this yeah. is what the company does. Right. <laughs> you know, I, like, I, can't, I don't. They do that on my page. Like, hey, who makes that comp? And I'm you better check the website or you're not getting one. Right. Like, so, and that's that's the internet for you, though. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's people that are just straight lazy. Don't be lazy, people. Don't be lazy. We have don't companies ask, to run. Don't ask. Whoever said there's no such thing as a stupid question is just, is not. That was a stupid thing to say. That was a stupid fucking thing to say because there's definitely such thing as a stupid question. So, you know what? Also, if I'm being honest, the, the only other pet peeve I have about it, aside from stupid questions that can be answered that we like outright answer, right. is don't ask for free shit. Like don't oh, yeah. don't be the dude asking for free stuff. Like I set this tenant for for my company, and the the first time I ever broke it on discounts for comps was Black Friday this year. Mm-hmm. But I said like you either get one for free or you pay full price. That's just how it goes. I don't do military discounts right. because I said, hey man, we all join the military, we all join the police, we all join mm-hmm. you know to serve, not for the discounts. Um, and I said so if we're serving civilians, mm-hmm. then we should all have the same price. Right. We're not above anybody or or whatever. So, but dude, like if you, if you want to support a company, support them, don't like hit them up asking for free stuff or discounts or like hookups or, or whatever inside right. information. Like we're normal people, mm-hmm. right? Like you're a normal dude. I'm a normal dude. And we're trying to run stuff. And it's, uh, I, I know there was like a, a period there for me, at least where I kind of got jaded against our customer base. Cause they would always be like, they always wanted more from me mm-hmm. and it still happens. And now it's easier to laugh about it because you, you kind of get over it. But I'm sure you've seen it where like you probably released your helmet cover for ops core and they're like, well, when are you going to do one for cry? Oh God. Or when yeah. are you going to do one for mm-hmm. dude? So we'll release, we released the, the Glock, you know, the double stacks mm-hmm. and we did like G19 and 17 and people are like, when are you going to do G26? Well, we released G26 and it didn't sell that well. And everybody's like, when are you going to do G43? We released G43 and they're like, when are you going to do G48? When are you going to do the M&P? Mm-hmm. When are you going to do like, you could just keep releasing new things and busting your ass and trying to like make everybody happy or you could be like you know what i'm gonna do what i want right and the, the other aspect of that is you gotta have to look at things from a business case perspective because you have to do a good market a market analysis you have to do a good thorough research on anything that you think that you want to bring to market because the r&d process is not cheap at all Dude, and ten thousand rounds for us. Yeah, and so you have to spend a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of effort to bring something to market that if you didn't do a good thorough market analysis on and you didn't do good research on, it might not sell. Like you're you're just saying, the twenty six didn't sell well. Yeah, and I mean like it's funny because the twenty six probably does, the twenty six compensator probably does mo- the most for any gun maybe outside the forty three right. that we have, but the the real uh, interesting thing is, and I'm I'm terrible with this because I, I don't do the market analysis. I legitimately sit down and I look at what do I want to make for myself? <laughs> and then I make it, right? So like people will be like, well, will you do the M&P? I have an M&P comp sitting over there. We'll probably never release it. <laughs> <laughs> like I just... Do you hear I'm that like, Smith & Wesson fans? Go fuck yourselves. <laughs> yeah, if you shoot M&Ps, like... There, there's a couple of reasons for it. Like, it actually feels really good, but uh, I was just kind of like... Neh. Because part of it too is is you know we release this or we shoot that and guess who has to test it, dude? You do. Like I had I had I agonized over doing the forty three because I was like I don't want to jam ten round mags for ten thousand rounds oh God, yeah. of R and D, you know, and then trying to get training value out of that as well. So you know, it just kind of 
some of it I'm just like, you know what? I don't want to fuck with this because then I have to shoot it. Like mm-hmm. we're going to do the P320 because that's what the army is doing. Yep. And I'm like, uh, you can see me right now. I'm like throwing my head back. Mm-hmm. Like oh, I got to shoot fucking P320. Like I like Glocks. My Glocks are fucking awesome. That's what I want to shoot. That's what I work with all the time. That's what I've hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of rounds through. And now I got to go pick up like seven different P320s because they all come in like moderately different sizes. And then you got to put different slides on different frames to make sure that they all work well. Then I got to shoot them all, which means I got to buy like probably $2,000 worth of magazines just so I can jam them up and go bam, 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 Mm -hmm. bam, 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 and get a round count up. It's part of the game, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's life is difficult sometimes when you're one man show and you've got a million things to do. Yeah. Cause if you're out on the range shooting 10,000 rounds, you're not answering emails. You're not monitoring production. You're not doing marketing. You're not shipping orders. You like, it's so, so yeah. So like when people, you know, so I think sometimes like I've had people come up to me and they like are super confused when they're like, dude, where's your headquarters at? I want to come by your headquarters because they think I'm some like multi-million dollar. Like they think I'm a five eleven tactical room, or second. I'm like, dude, I'm yeah. I, my office is in my, wherever I have my laptop and cell phone is my office. Like I've full on like done work on the tailgate of my truck right before I've gone on a trail run, you know, like I, I don't have an office so to speak. And you know, my, my shipping and receiving facility has been in the garage most of the time. So I like get out of kick out of these people that are like, Oh, like, what are you like? I want to come by your headquarters and check out your headquarters. Like as if I'm some huge multi-million you ever, dollar. You ever think about just taking them to JC Penny? <laughs> <laughs> Dude. So it's funny that you say that because yeah. uh, like we're, we're kind of the same way. Mm-hmm. Right. And to a certain extent, man, like I'm savoring it. Right. Because you, one, it's, it's great. If you can, if you can manage your growth and be comfortable and not have overhead, not have a warehouse that you're paying for, not have a, how about employees? Employees Employees are the worst. Yeah, they are. Everybody that I talk to that's in business that has employees hates their lives. And I talked to this one really wealthy guy on an airplane one time and he looked at me and he goes, he said a few things that were substantial. He said, basically I was sitting on this flight and it was from LA to, I just finished up, like I was flying back from Vancouver. I was wrapping up my little fun expedition with Steven Seagal and I like was flying back through LA. Were you at Stu Seagal? Yeah, I was with Steven Seagal and I was like doing his, I was doing, um, I talked about on an Andy's podcast. I was doing a, tech advisory thing for a oh, TV yeah. show he was that, yeah. and then and then I was doing a PSD for him for a while but I was flying back from that and I was in LA and I was getting ready to catch my LA connection back to Denver because I was living in Colorado at the time this guy comes on the plane and he's like the last one on the plane and they like literally shut the door behind him and he's wearing a really beautiful suit and he sits down next to me because I was like the only seat left I was sitting next to the window and he sat in the aisle seat and he was like all sweaty and flustered and um we took off and we got to altitude and he like looked over at me and I was like reading a book on marketing, sales and marketing. And so he looks over at me and he goes, what do you do? And we struck up a conversation and I, and that's when I noticed that like he was wearing a Rolex and like really nice suit and, and, um, we started talking and he owned a, some type of software company. I forgot the I name of the company. I thought you were going to say it was Eric Prince. No, 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 no. <laughs> he owned, he owned some type of software company and he was like flying out to do some deal that he had to be in Denver for the next morning. And it was like a huge multi-million dollar deal, but he owned this 
huge software company and his private jet broke down. And so like he scrambled because they couldn't get it fixed in time to get him to Denver on time for this meeting. So he had to like, he sprinted over the airport and just like grabbed the first flight. The first counter he ran to was Southwest and he, he grabbed a Southwest flight to, so he's riding the plane with me and we had an amazing conversation for that little like almost two hour plane ride. And he, you know, I told him, oh, I'm starting my own company and I'm going to do product development and this, that, and the other. And he looked at me and he goes, well, just know a few things because he's like, I've been in this game now. He's like, I've had my own, I've had several companies. He's like, you're going to fail your ass off. So he's like, plan on like your first three or four companies, maybe not making it. Just know that that's just how it goes. And he's like, when you finally do get something that catches, just know that like, you're going to work your ass off harder than you ever have in your, in your whole entire life to, to make it work. And then there there's one thing that you need to like one of the main things you need to keep in mind and i said what's that and he goes that's the easy part starting the business is the easy part when you scale and you bring on employees that's when your life becomes really hard because he said running a business building and running a business is easy managing people is absolutely excruciating and all of my friends that have scaled companies to where they've got employees just every time they're like shaking their head all the time. And like, it's a constant mantra that I hear my friends that have scaled and have employees are like, it's super difficult to find good people. That's uh that's something I hear often as well. Um, and it's true because one of the things I always, is, you know, whatever happens with it, nobody will care about it the way that I care about no. it, right? It was a call sign that mm -hmm. I used, like that that my first battalion used, mm -hmm. right? Like I was them too, right? So like it was a it was a tribute to those dudes that we lost, yeah. right? And and that was why I used the name. So nobody will care about it like you care about it. Yeah, nobody will. And uh, that's rough when you think mm -hmm. about it because whatever happens, you know, like whoever you bring on, as good a person as they are, what they care about is themselves, rightfully so, mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of, of really good, there's a lot of really good like podcasts and, and books and everything about creating buy-in, which is ultimately what you need to do to, to right. have success with, uh, with employees and stuff like that. One of the guys who's really, really good at talking about that kind of stuff is uh, Ben Bergeron, talking about creating buy-in, whether it's from your, your clients, your athletes, your, your employees, whatever it is. But like, that's, it's a, uh, it's a struggle, man, like for, for everybody. And like I said, you know, I'm savoring like where I'm at now, because was looking at me, he's like, when are you going to hire somebody to take care of this? When are you going to hire somebody to take care of that? Mm -hmm. And I was like, dude, right now, continues to just do what it does right now. I can go to the range two or three times a week if I want to. I can go train for you mm -hmm. like three weekends out of the month and I can come home I'm comfortable. I get to do what I want to do. I bank some money. I save some money. I take care of my family. Like everything's good to go. The second that changes, you, you know, you can't stagnate, mm -hmm. right? But the second it changes, you take on more risk and all sorts of other stuff. So I'm like, I'm really happy with how things are right yeah. now. And you reach this point. Yeah. I like you, I got like that with ODG for a while. Like I, like we, we got to this point. I was comfortable. I was happy. I mean, I, I wanted to keep growing things and I still do. I so. remember sitting with uh, Marcus Domain, who owns uh, Invenium Athletics mm -hmm. and Dave Pavlik at Arsenal Democracy. Him, so those two guys and me, and we're, we're sitting around talking about um, the weird sleeping conditions that we had starting our companies, right? <laughs> so like Dave um, was still in the army and ended up doing like a, a hostile takeover of his own company 
and was like looking around his shop for shit to sell so he could keep things going, mm-hmm. sleeping in the shop and everything. Marcus would run like, I think it was like 17 hours of classes a day or like, you know, like do the 5 a.m. all the way down to like the 8 p.m. class um, and then sleep on his dog's bed in the gym, get up and do it the next morning. And I would fucking I'd study. So I'd get up, I'd mm-hmm. go to school at like 6 a.m., work out for like 15 minutes at a time in between classes, Yeah. Um, come home, fill orders at the table, uh, like at the kitchen table mm-hmm. at the time, um, work with, you know, like in between patients when I was in the clinic, I would, I would like make phone calls to get, you know, like anodizing done or get, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, nitride done. And I would study until midnight or 2 a.m. or whatever, sleep at my desk or sleep on the floor next to my desk because I didn't feel like going over to my bed to sleep and mm-hmm. then get back up and do it again. Like yeah. Just the, just the weird ways that you, you make it work yeah. while you're starting something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's like, it's a, it's a grind for sure. Like you but, suffer to get things off the ground. Yeah. I was, I, nobody w- looks back at it and like, I was homeless for a while. I lived in yeah. my, I lived in my truck for like a long time because I was going through, I was going through a divorce and, you know, maybe someday I'll drink enough to like really get into the details of that. Shit, so. Where's the rest of that bottle of wine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, I got, I was in the middle of a divorce. I lost my cross. I was like the, I was like the first CrossFit affiliate in Wyoming and our gym was super successful. And like, I think we signed up like 32 athletes the first day we opened and like we grew our clientele out to like, I think we were like 89 or 90 clients when I had to sell my shares. Cause my ex, like, her parents were wealthy and her, her dad was just a fucking dickhead and like paid for her, went and got some like really good attorney and then paid all of her legal bills for her. And so what they did is they just bounced paperwork back for back and forth for two years and bankrupted me basically to the point where like I spent 40 grand battling them for two years and then was completely out of money. Um, and had to, I had to sell the shares to my partners in my gym in order to pay off my legal bills. And it, it was, it was, it was brutal, man. And so like I lost my gym. Then I decided to start this design company and then I got a contract consulting for Smith optics. And I used my first paycheck from Smith optics to fund my, to fund, uh, to fund ODG. And then basically what happened was right as that was happening, I had to sell the house because she got part of it in the divorce settlement or she had, she, they made me sell the house and split the money with her. So I sold the house, split the money with her, gave that to her took that money, which wasn't much, took a loss on that house. And it really pisses me off because I sold that house like literally a year and a half before marijuana got legalized in Colorado. And like mm. all of the real estate went Blew through up, the roof. Yeah. yeah. Like if I would have been able to hold onto that house for like another year and a half, like I would have made so much money on it. But then, you know, had to live in my truck for pretty much a whole, whole summer to, to have the money to get a website built and get fabric printed and get some designs done and get ODG kicked, you know, get t-shirts printed and get ODG kicked off. Fortunately, it was Colorado and with all those climbers running around, it was socially acceptable to live in your truck. Well, Wyoming. Yeah, it was Wyoming. Wyoming. I moved out of Colorado because that's where we were at. And, um, I mean, ski bums out there. Yeah. 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 No, in Wyoming. Yeah. The summertime. Thank God it was the summertime because the winter. I don't think you would have survived. No, no. I would have like had to find some place to couch surf. Stealing bivy sacks from the Marine Corps. I I did. Yeah. I I kept mine. Who Um, didn't? Yeah. Captain Mine, are you kidding me? 
conveniently didn't make it back to supply. <laughs> yeah, so like there's a there's a substantial amount of like suffering that goes on when you're like kicking off a keep kicking off a company. That's why, you know, I another one of my good friends is like if business was easy, everybody would be doing it. It's true. Yeah. But it'll it'll kick your ass in a in a New York minute. You know, that's that's the thing though, is like uh nobody looks back on like when everything is, is going well and mm-hmm. everything like you're home by five and yeah. You don't have to worry about the bills. Nobody looks back at that and says, like, oh, man, the good old days, right? Like, everybody looks back at the good old days as the struggle, Mm -hmm. right? Because with struggle comes a sense of accomplishment. And with struggle comes the pride that you made it, right? Right. Along with personal growth and perspective. Like, nobody nobody learns anything about themselves when everything is good and and you've got a warm bed to sleep in and a plate full of food and, you know, an awesome chick sitting next to you, you know, watching movies with you like n- nobody, nobody i disagree nobody <laughs> <laughs> i disagree I, like no i mean like i i actually do truly disagree like i think you do learn things if you're if you're not lazy i think um, you, you i think you learn you to learn appreciate different. those things we learn sure. different stuff yeah because you have more time to be be in, introspective in a relaxed way mm-hmm. um that you can think about how you interface with people maybe more efficiently mm-hmm. right but like you learn how tough you are and you learn what you can live without when mm-hmm. you struggle yeah i think for sure. Yeah, no, I, I think that I've had the most growth and most perspective from the struggle, from getting my ass kicked and like learning, you know, doing the AAR after, the after action on it afterwards. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. Like, uh, I remember th- there's been a couple times, you know, like when it was like last year about this time, we had a huge order of compensators. It was like our first run of Mark IIs. They had been delayed a couple of times they've been delayed a couple of times because we were waiting on one thing or the other and we had everything in line and it dude it just seemed like every time we we're like all right as soon as we get past this hurdle everything should be good and i remember i was on my honeymoon with kelsey we had delayed our honeymoon a year and uh i'm in mexico and my buddy johnny calls me and he was like dude we just got all the barrels in and they're out of spec <laughs> and it was like 250 or more barrels mm. and i'm like in mexico and i I wanted to cry mm-hmm. like i was so fucking pissed oh yeah and we're checking out of this hotel and i'm about to lose cell service and like i remember i think that was maybe the only time that i wanted to quit mm-hmm. like i was like i can't do this anymore right. like right. dude like we had in, we had issues with tolerances on the comps or like then the comps would come back and the coding was fucked up and then the coding we, we would go back out and we'd send it back three or four times and it was just like one thing after the other and then the barrels come back and they're out of spec because like somebody changed something and they didn't think that it mattered, but it definitely mattered. And you're just like, fuck me mm. sideways. Yeah. But you look back on it and you're like, dude, I didn't quit. Number one, which is the most important thing. And I, the only other win that I took out of that was I didn't lose my shit on mm. Johnny because it wasn't his fault. And legitimately he's the only one that like I could have lost my shit on anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't, but I swear they had, dude, we were down at this resort in Mexico. Everybody, like all the, all the people who worked there, if you said, you know, thank you or something, they would say, it's a pleasure. Mm-hmm. Right. And this dude looks at me, he's like, it's a pleasure. And I was like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, I was just, I was, I was at my wits end with it. And it's like, everybody has those, those moments. You snapped on some poor little Mexican waiter. I gave him a big tip. I gave him a big tip. 
those my apologies. Yeah, dude, everybody I don't blame has you. Those. Yeah, it'll push you to your it'll push you to your ragged frazzled edge for sure, man. <laughs> dude, just with the, like the weirdest little things. Um Yeah, I've had some not so great moments too where I lost my temper and yelled and screamed at people. It still happens on occasion. Yeah, well, now I try to do it at trees. Yeah, go go yell at the trees. Fortunately, we got this new puppy, and she just makes me smile, like, all the time. She's great. I'll look over at her, and I'll be like, you're just too cute for your own She is. She's well, awesome. But, she's uh, very well-mannered for and trained for her age. She already. is. Yeah. She is. You're she's doing a great job dog. with her. Thank you. Thank you. So I, I take that as a compliment, truly, from you, because you actually know what you're doing with dogs. Yeah. I've had some time working with dogs. You like dags? like dags. Yeah. Thanks yeah. to my really amazing friends at Third Eye Canine, they're, they breed and train the best dogs that i've ever seen in my life but like mike over there has an amazing methodology that he and philosophy that he uses for dog training that is bar none and i've like watching him do what he does it's it's true magic so he's a filthy fucking dirty red skin sioux indian but he is the <laughs> true fucking dog whisperer and he can get dogs to do things that i've never seen dogs do before I, dude i don't think i think you have to be you can't be white if you want to be an anything whisperer mm -hmm. like uh Unless you want to be like the coffee whisperer. Mm. Like, <laughs> like, I don't think yeah. you could. Like, if you want to be the mocha latte whisperer, you can be white as fuck, but that's about it. You hear that, Evan? You're, you're, the, you're the mocha latte whisperer. He makes a mean cup of coffee. When I was at Andy's house, he, he got up and made Andy and I coffee, and it was a fucking amazing moment. Like, it was a true moment in my life where I was like, wow. Evan Hafer, CEO of Black Rifle Coffee, just made me a cup of coffee. I, so I've never met Evan, but I kind of imagine him, you, you know, that guy in Black Hawk Down who's like obsessed with making coffee. Yeah. I kind of, the story you just told me made me picture he that is, guy. You should have heard like, I, I drink, you know, I usually just drink French press coffee and I like asked him about French press and he goes, French press is ridiculous. It's, <laughs> it's a dirty, filthy, disgusting way to drink coffee. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing accurate about it. I mean, he ripped into he ripped into French press, for, and I was like, "Fuck, I'm not gonna tell him that I drink French press coffee because like now I'm I'm embarrassed because like cause, and he's he's a true true purist, and he went on this like beautiful dissertation of the new bean that they were doing with the llama. It's the one with the llama. It's like part of their special coffee club, and it was like the one with the llama on it with the machine guns. That it was that's fucking awesome. And he was talking about like all the processes that that bean goes through and like everything that they do with it. I mean, he's a true aficionado and master of his craft. And he's, and not only that, he's, he's hilarious. He's got a fucking amazing sense of humor. So, you know, listening to him, you know, what? Is I, awesome. I love people like that. That's how you know that like people are professionals at mm -hmm. what they do. Cause like, I've noticed my tendency to do that when people tell me what their rehab programs are mm -hmm. from from like a physician who is not paying attention or is maybe behind on the research or something and they'll be like well i did these exercises and i was like you're using mini bands to do that fucking horse shit <laughs> of course you're not getting fucking better like try a motherfucking pal off press right fuck me like if you don't start doing cuban presses in like 10 seconds i'm gonna lose my fucking mind <laughs> who and dude i have this actually happened um i ended up writing a letter to to a physician on JBLM for misdiagnosing what was like the, my patient told me what happened mm -hmm. and they're like yeah he touched me here and he was like you have biceps tendonitis and I was like you don't have biceps tendonitis you have a motherfucking torn labrum like this mm -hmm. dude needs a fucking ass chewing and I like send him one yeah like uh, good for you I mean a professional one because you, you know on the doctor side you can't be a douche nozzle unfortunately right. I wish you could but uh, like dude you know like I, I respect people. Who, whatever their craft is, they're mm -hmm. they're that honed in on what they're doing. 
mm-hmm. to the point where they're like they they don't have any problem telling you what the right thing is because right. it's it's that they know that well that it's right. Yeah, I think it's it's super important because there's too many people who they don't dive in Mm-mm. on anything and they don't go head first and they don't care enough about what they're doing with their entire life and that's the saddest thing on the planet is yeah. when somebody goes through their life and they don't give a fuck about what's going on or even worse they kind of do and they know that they could be better mm-hmm. at something and they just and don't put in the effort choose far, not yeah. to for whatever reason yeah like it's it's heartbreaking it is I struggle with that with some of my friends. Like I've got some friends that are amazingly talented at things and I don't think that it's them being lazy. I think it's a fear-based thing. It's of a, course, it's yeah, a of total it fear. Like they've got some type of fear around like why they don't want to pursue what they're great at. Like I have friends that are amazing at certain things like, and they just don't want to, you know. Oh dude, like that's, but that's like, I have this friend and she's, she's, she's amazing at photography and she's also an amazing bartender. She does craft cocktails. Denise, I'm talking about you. And she will not. Dime. Dropping motherfucking manhole covers. Right. She will not. She's been, well, she, she's doing it. She's she's in the process because I've been like, I've been like poking her gently and been like, hey, how's your website coming along? Because I want her to get her, I want her to get her photography like website up and get her portfolio put on there. And I want her to start booking some gigs because she's, she's got a fantastic eye. She's an amazing photographer, but she's just like totally dragging dick on like getting her website up. And, and, you know, I've got other friends too that are great at, you know, they're super talented and they just refuse to do the work to put themselves out there because they have some type of fear around it, whether it's a fear of failure or a fear of success or like, you know, fear of putting themselves out there, which I completely understand because I, I did not want to do this podcast for three years because I did not want to put myself out there and I didn't want to be in the public, on the public eye in this case, but in, you know, in everybody's ear and I just didn't, wasn't interested in it and had, had a fear and anxiety around it. So like, I completely understand it, but at some point, like you got to get the fuck over that shit and get, get after it. Well, I mean, I think there's, there's uh to me, like when I break it down and I see that, you know, I've, I've seen it in quite a few people as well. I think maybe one of the things is like when you're a kid and people tell you, Hey, you're really good at basketball. Right. And you just, you keep being good at basketball, mm-hmm. but you never choose to pursue it on a, you know, like a, a standardized level or a, you know, like a competitive level or whatever. Like it's, it's really cool to have an affinity for something, but the second you try to do it professionally, you open yourself up to failure, but you also open yourself up to criticism because if you're really good at basketball as a kid, and then you have to go play in an organized way, the coach is going to tell you like, no, 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 you can't move that way. Or you're going to get called for travel if you do this, or you're going to get, and then you realize, well, maybe you're not that good at basketball. You're just good at shooting. Mm-hmm. And you have to work on other things, and that's when the work starts. And then people are afraid it's not going to be fun anymore, and people are going to afraid that they're are afraid that they're going to be criticized for you know, like say you're a photographer, well, well, like your editing skills on low light are not great, or whatever it is, right? Right. Like you take something that you have a talent for, and you have a knack for, and that's fun for you, and you know, you may end up ruining that. Maybe people are afraid of ruining it, or maybe people are afraid of finding out that like you know, their friends just like them. And they think that they're talented, but then you're going to open yourself up to the critics when you start doing it professionally mm-hmm. and people don't want to be criticized like that. No, it's hard, dude. I, I don't blame people for, for not wanting to do that. But at the same time, if you don't, you will never realize, you know, how good your life could be or mm-hmm. how fulfilled you can be on, on anything. Right. That's why I respect dudes who start businesses, even if they fail. Yeah, exactly. Like at least you tried. Yeah. 
at least you tried, but also when you fail, you learn about yourself. Well, fa- failure better. is the road to success, and people don't realize that. People think like, oh, if I fail, that's just where it stops. No, fail, failure is like, a, those are learning lessons to like fall back on and assess and improve. You know, it causes you to self-improve. And, you know, if you use it correctly, there's people that let failure destroy them. Like I've, I've seen it happen. I've seen failure absolutely destroy people, and then they never get back on the horse again. So, you know, and it's happened, like I've watched it happen to some people in my family, like where failure crushed them and they never, they never got back up on the horse. And so, um, you know, it's all about your mentality and being able to, you know, when you fail, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, assess what just happened and take those lessons and apply them and don't make the same mistakes twice and use them as a catapult to your next, to the next level. Yeah. And, and, uh. You know, in, in certain other cases too, I think it, it can only be, you can only be as as successful as, as, you know, the people around you allow to be, allow you to be, mm-hmm. um, you know, for me, my wife, I don't know if she'll ever hear this podcast. She probably wouldn't make it this far into it anyway. My, my wife and my family, my friends, you know, the people around me, right. it's a tight circle and I trust every single one of them to stand behind me no matter what happens. And, and, uh, I, I think if you don't have that, or if you're afraid of what they're going to say or, or anything like that. And that's or in the back if, of your mind. You know, you know, if you've got shitty people in your family that like do nothing but are negative and talk shit, don't support you because of their own fears and their that's, own yeah, exa- anxiety. Brutal, man. Yeah. That's, that you've got like a, you got a big mountain to climb up. And you do, man. And, and you know, it, I, I can't really be the one to tell anyone like, Hey, you're going to have to cut your family off or not listen to your family or anything. Cause that's a hard thing to do, but I will. I'll say it. Fuck your family. Yeah. I mean like, fuck, the, are, ha- fuck the haters, follow your heart. If follow- they're, it doesn't matter if they're blood, if they're right. haters, you, you got to tell them, yeah. Hey man, I'll see you at Christmas. Yeah. But or uh, not, or not. I'll spend you know, Christmas by myself. It's fine. I, you know, I, I like to cherry pick my family members, which right. is basically my parents and my sister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll, I'll hang out with them. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I mean, it's, uh, I think what you surround yourself with in terms of mentality, like, you know, uh, Marcus and I, uh, we feed off each other. And and when I go out to see, I feed off of that energy of uh, people who are doing what they're meant to do and, mm-hmm. and always looking to the next level. Yeah. Um, Surround yourself a, with greatness and you shall become great, you know? Yeah. And, and so actually, like, I guess that, that brings, brings me back to a thing that, that I ended up looking at um, and, and incorporating into the business was we have this, uh, this motto on a lot of our stuff that says, earn your place every day. Mm-hmm. And I uh, love that, by the way. Yeah. So thank you. It's um, the truth. It's, it, you know, it is the truth, but like, it's funny the way that I, uh, the way that I came about it was like, it was direct, but it was roundabout and it, it's really hard for me to describe, but basically I was out uh, near Fort Bragg and I, I was around a dude that I just was like, man, you know, he, he's always getting after it. He, he had been very successful in the army and, you know, was doing really good things. And I'm not going to name drop anybody here, but, uh, he's, he's a stud and, you know, everybody hears that you, you spend enough time around the army, like everyday selection type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Selection's a never ending process. Selection's a never ending process. But somebody told me something about, you know, at certain units, like you could just come in one day and your locker would be empty. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so like every day is selection, but not only is it selection, like you're being selected, you have to earn the right to stay, mm-hmm. right? You, you have to earn the right to be there. And when I thought about the people that you surround yourself with, and I thought about the people that you, that look at you, you realize that people who are, who are succeeding and people who are positive and people who will add value to your life, they don't want to be around somebody who will drag them down. 
No. If you complain all the time, they're going to cut you out of their life. If you are positive, they're going to want to keep you around, but only if you're continuing to grow and become more positive and more successful and you know, you're adding to the uh to the equation. And so earn your place every day. It was it wasn't earning your place in a company. It wasn't earning your place in a unit or earning your place in whatever. It was earning the right to be around the people you respect right. the most every day. And you have to do that when nobody's looking because that's what's what's really going to keep you in that spot. So that's how we came up with that. It's a great philosophy. I love it. It's uh, it's accurate. It, it is. And I, I've found that it like it keeps me keeps me doing the right thing most of the time. Sometimes I take a nap when I shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I've been guilty of that a time or two myself. Actually, I sleep less now than it's weird, dude. The the older I get, the less sleep I need. Yeah, I'm the um, same. I'm in the same boat. And uh, so now it's not naps. Now it's like breakfast burritos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't eat this at all, but I'm going to. I shouldn't. But that was a rough workout, and uh, I'm starving. I got more shit to do. Yeah, but yeah, dude. Like, uh, I hope that you know, like when people listen to podcasts like this, like with you, or you know, like Bergeron has a great podcast. You know, when it comes to to mentality, and even particularly like Joe Rogan podcasts. Like there yeah, are, are really great people that he has on there that, mm-hmm. you know, like actually one, one that I listened to that I thought the dude was just going to be funny, but he actually, I really like how adamant he is about his, his beliefs, but open he is to everything else was uh Russell brand. Mm. Like, he is awesome. He's a really interesting dude. Yeah. Um, and you know, like, I think it speaks to Joe's character that, yeah. you know, he's not just a talking head that was on the UFC and knows a little bit about kickboxing mm-hmm. and, it, you know, likes to do, you know, fighting and hunting and all that kind of stuff. It, it speaks to his character that so many people will come on and want to talk to him for such a long time. Yeah. I mean, he's, he he's, he's really, he's a really deep, diverse guy and his podcast, the thing I love about his podcast is he's got a large amount of diversity on there. I mean, I can't listen to any more fucking MMA bullshit. I'm sorry, Joe. I love your podcast, but I fucking hate all the MMA. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. I, I love what he loves. Yeah. 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 I, I love when he brings people on that are like, fucking you know like the neil degrasse tyson's like the the astrophysicists and the the people that like talk about dark matter or people that come in and they talk about paranormal activity or like when he talks about mushrooms and psilocybin and the effects of you know the positive effects that it has like i i love those podcasts that he does i get the most out of those i could give you know five fucks about any of the ufc bullshit that he talks about all the time because i've just like fallen so out of love with that sport but the um he's got some really great diversity and he he talked to he talks to some really great people he he interviewed some lady and i forgot what her name was but she she had written a book on like she'd interviewed some insider guy about like before he died and he was like some scientist at area 51 and so she wrote a book about like that interview she did with him and like the things that go on like we had bob lazar on recently Area 51. I'm not familiar with Bob. What's... Bob Bob Lazar was like uh he was the dude uh who who really came out back in the 90s and like specifics about oh, yeah. Area 51. Yeah, I mean he it destroyed his life. Yeah, for a long time. And I mean, really I would love like to like, give interviews or anything. But I would love to listen to that one. I'm gonna have to jump on there and listen to that. We should just call this this episode the podcast about podcasts. The podcast about podcasts. But uh... episode four, podcasting about podcasting. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, I, I think, you know, and we talked about this actually, I remember I was driving back from Tacoma, like we're talking about what you put into your mind is just as important as what you put into your body when it comes to fuel. Oh, for sure. Um, and you know, I think there's fun, there's fun stuff to listen to. There's that mindless media that you can listen to that, that 
you know, may challenge you a little bit. And then there's the mindful media that is exhausting mentally. And then there's kind of a sweet spot in between, you know? So like the, the mindless stuff, you know, like the, the watching the office or Mm -hmm. last podcast on the left where they just like go off about true crime or, or, uh, you know, like reading fluff books or, or whatever. Like, you know, for us, we could read like, what is that? Which what book is over there right now? Something I can't something by Ann Scott Tyson. So it's it's American Ronin or American Spartan or whatever. Um, like that shit, it's all like war stories about Afghanistan that you know, like it's kind of fluff for us. You maybe maybe you pick up one or two things from it, but we've read enough of those things that it's not challenging anymore. Yeah, I kinda have to like force myself into a place where like like my new guilty pleasure is like getting on Disney plus and watching Mandalorian because I'm such a star Wars nerd, but I like have to force myself to do it. Cause I'm always in like self-improvement mode 24 fucking seven. So I'm like, I'm listening to podcasts that are educational. Like the new thing, like Evan turned me on to this, um, this guy named Michael Stelzner that has this podcast called social media marketing. And I've just been like sucking those up left, right and center. And I like trying to absorb as much as I can about that. And then, you know, like business related stuff, self-improvement stuff, like mindset and spirituality stuff. Like I, I'm always just constantly on the self-improvement wheel. Either, either I'm listening to books. Like the last book I listened to was, um, on, not on audible, but on, on my iBooks was, um, the 12 rules of life. Uh, Antidote to Chaos by Jordan B. Peterson, which is, oh, yeah. it's it's a phenomenal book. He's a very articulate man and he's got, you know, he's one of the leading psychologists in the world and is a, is a professor in, at the University of Toronto, I believe. And he's amazingly intelligent and has a fucking, he has a vocabulary that like, I have an awesome vocabulary and it, it, I had to look up several <laughs> words that he used. I'm like, what the fuck did he just say? And I had to like push pause and like oh, get on dude. Google and like Google, Google the word to like figure out what he was talking about. Those are brutal. Yeah. Oh, it was a lo- It was a hard, I'm not lying. It's a hard book to get through and he's very long winded. I remember there's certain chapters where I'm like, Jesus Christ, George, just, could you please just get to the fucking point? How did you just finish a one sentence paragraph, bro? Right. I mean, it, it was, so there was some parts of it that were absolutely brutal, but I got a lot out of that book and it was really, it was a really good read. I'm on a social engineering one right now. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, no, I like going back to what you're saying about like watching the Mandalorian or, or whatever. Um, I have to have guilty, like mindless pleasures. Well, then you, I have to force do, myself to do it. Cause otherwise you'll burn out. Yeah. Right. Like you, I get into those, those states where like, uh, I think, you know, like it, it's people have rhythms, you mm-hmm. know, like you have, you have cycles or whatever where right. like you, it's not manic, it's not depressive, but like, you know, I'm, I'm fucking solar powered dude. So yeah. if the sun's out, I'm like, yeah. And when it's gray, I'm, I'm dialed back a little bit, but you know, you'll get into those states where you're constantly like, oh, I, I need more information. And I think, you know, when you get in those states, it, it's kind of like, you know, when I would study and I right. you know, I had a prescription for Adderall, you're like, oh, I can keep going, but you need to remember to eat. Yep. You need to remember to sleep. You have to take care of yourself. And I, yeah, I think t- if you, I, if I've you been push too hard. Yep. Yeah, I've been I, terrible about that in the past. And I've had to like remind myself like to make time for me and to like not be in you know, work or self-improvement mode 24 seven and to like actually take some time out for myself and yeah, you gotta shut it down. Yeah. And actually just have mindless, worthless entertainment to soak my brain for a minute. So yeah, it's like, it's a- I started watching that show by the way, cause you told me about it. It's entertaining. I'm going to um, make t-shirts out of it. Really? Yeah. I've got this Dude. new t-shirt series that I'm calling fid life. And so like the first one I did was with the little, with the Ewoks. <laughs> 
<laughs> for those of you that are listening that don't really get it, like FID is foreign internal defense. And the, it's like when we attach to local, like we have a local national partner force that we work with and operate with. And the reason that I chose Wicket is because the Afghans, the ANA and the commandos that I worked with, they're very much like Ewoks. They don't speak a language that you understand. They are furry and dirty creatures. They usually smoke weed on patrol. And the way they carry their weapons and equipment is very much like how... It's fucking terrifying. Tri ...tribesmen from another like from 18th century like tribesmen would carry their carry their weapon system so like the big that's it's kind of a it's an inside joke thing all right dudes so what if we pulled out this podcast like we closed it down with the funniest thing you ever did to a partner force oh shit i mean i never really did anything oh wait a minute let me think about this I mean, I never really did anything funny to him, but I would always like make him do jumping jacks for for PT for my for my own. That's just funny. Yeah. I mean, it's fucking hilarious. If you guys There's jump, a really good Iraqi jump on YouTube video. and and YouTube Afghan commandos do jumping jacks, and you will see exactly <laughs> you will see the funniest shit you've ever seen. And in the, your dude, that life. was not a unique video. No. Like everybody who's mm -hmm. ever done that shit yep. knows exactly what it was. Yeah. So the thing that we did was uh, when I was in Habania, we would. We would occasionally train Iraqi army. Mm -hmm. We would bring them out to the range and stuff. And they would constantly fucking stand. They, we had porta shitters out there mm -hmm. and they would go and stand on the, on the sides, you know, like the little right. platform off to the side. So we would put CLP on it and we, <laughs> <laughs> but the best part was if we didn't hear them slip yeah. from that, we would shoulder check it and <laughs> you you'd see a dude come out with like a blue foot yeah. or something like that. That's awesome. <laughs> and they'd be cussing and everything, but yeah, dude, we would we would fuck with them a little bit cuz they were I mean, you're right, they're very tribal and mm -hmm. you know, you look back on it and and like you're like, man, that's another human being, mm -hmm. right? But they're it's easy to get lost. They're and, easily yes, they're human beings, but they're also can be easily misconstrued for an alien yeah. civilization. Yeah, I mean, because, it's a different world. Yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, well, what uh what do you want to close down with? What do you got? If, uh you and I'll be out doing some fucking no light, low light shooty hmm. shit soon this yeah. year. Yeah. I'm excited about that too. We had a, we had a good time in the shoot house. We did. Yeah. Last week. Uh, closing thoughts, man. Be better than you were yesterday. Hmm. I like that. Mine is don't let fear-based thinking kick your ass. Get out there and do what you want. Live your best life. Live your passion. And thanks for joining us. And we will catch you next time on the Lone Element Podcasts. Have a good one. Fight the power. Fight the power.